Editor's note, this podcast was first published on YouTube on 13th October 2021 as a video. So if you are interested on what we're discussing on screen, do head down to Newbie Dice on YouTube to find the episode. just got a notification that I'm, I'm being recorded and I got the chance to either accept or leave the meeting. Or leave the meeting, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's how well, I'll see you guys later. Yeah, that's not, uh, I don't agree with that in principle. <laughs> and welcome everybody to the third episode of Newbie Dice Podcast. My name is Paige. I'm Gaddafi, uh, known as General Gaddafi or Mod Gaddafi on Facebook. Hey, I'm Kid the Piper. So those of you who know Dead Zone, you know who I'm referring to. And I'm uh, Felix Castro, coming in from the United States. Hi, I'm Fred from Norway. And I'm uh, Brian Novak, also from the US. And awesome, we have a star-studded cast today with <laughs> six people. Oh my goodness, uh, this is just my third uh, podcast recording, but I'm being a little bit ambitious over here with six people across three continents. It is morning in the US, afternoon in Norway, and nighttime in Singapore and this is how we're going to do it. We're not sure if we're going to speak over each other being six of us over here but yes this is our topic today. Our topic is about supporting Mantic games and that's why I would like to get such a big host of people to do this with me and yeah I would like to go around to introduce the new faces of our cast over here starting with Kit. So Kit is our Singapore local Dead Zone chieftain or piper. He likes to call himself. He plays. He's been playing and pushing Dead Zone in Singapore, and he dabbles with uh, Kings of War a little bit. So Kit, why not you tell us more about yourself and how you started playing war games? Um, really an honor to be here. Uh, thanks to Paige for inviting me. In fact, it's actually my first podcast, uh, and I'm pretty sure I have very little war gaming experience compared to everyone here. I think I dabbled in it uh, slightly before the uh, pandemic actually happened. Sorry to mention that, but I think it's quite appropriate since we're going to talk about date zones. So uh, currently we kind of have a lot of different date zones in the world. Right. Uh, so <laughs> real life date zones. So it's quite funny that everything, you know, coincided and then, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, um, date zone uh, basically was the game that really got me through the early part of the lockdowns. And uh, I was playing it alone. I was playing it with my brother. And eventually when things loosened up, I got to play it with um, the community, you know, guys uh, from the local hobby shop, etc. And it helped me a lot because uh, usually I have to travel back to Malaysia in a border town of Johor Bahru and I stay there. But since the lockdown, I've been uh, kind of stuck in Singapore. It's not the worst place to be stuck in, but uh, the best part is that the hobby shops are open, you know. So I got uh, to war gaming uh, proper at the shops. And then met up with a great gang. And then uh, miraculously, we, in fact, we actually started and finished a, a Dead Zone campaign. And I think at that moment of time in the whole world, that probably was the only campaign that was being run for Dead Zone. So, <laughs> but it was a very small scale, uh, you know, we had 12 players. Probably no one else knew we were there. Uh, and we had a Facebook page that was created just for it. Uh, but there's only like 15 of us there looking at our own photos and all that. <laughs> so, but it was a great experience. And I am so glad that I, uh, from, from Dead Zone, I got into Mantic. And then I started reading up a lot of Mantic products and, and, and all that. And the lore is, is pretty good too. 
I have a very long experience with the other company, you know, GW. At the same time, because I have a lot of know-how from, from that side, I can compare things and I can tell you definitely what I like about Mantic stuff. Awesome, kid. So I didn't know you're pretty much a baby when it comes to tabletop games. So have you played any GW stuff? Um, in fact, I've dabbled in mostly the lore and uh, I've collected a lot of miniatures. I played mostly board games from GW uh, because I considered those the only playable things from the, their product lines <laughs> because the rules are clear. You know, you can finish them in, a, in a one less than two hours and you don't need a massive collection to actually play, uh, play their games. But unfortunately, they don't really push their board games that, that, that much because they consider their board games a way to, uh, for players to go into their main lines. Mm. So, uh, but I, I kept myself away from all of that. Thanks to a lot of different reasons, you know, family commitments and stuff like that. You know, working overseas, studying. So I'm actually quite a baby at wargaming and I'm so glad that the moment I got into it, it was with Mantic. Because uh, it really helps a lot because things are easy to access. There's uh, soft copies for everything, all their publications. They don't force players to buy a whole ton of their miniatures. Uh, they're fine with people playing with miniatures that are even unpainted, you know, things like that. So I think the whole cool vibe really helped me get into the whole war gaming scene. And uh, it helped us to actually uh, finish the campaign that we have. The easy access, the easy coming into the game, the friendly vibes, uh, it, it helped a lot. It really helped a lot. So I'm so glad that my first war gaming experience was, was with Mantic and it was a blast. Thank you. Awesome. And kudos to Singapore for holding the only Dead Zone campaign in that period of time. And I gotta, gotta hand it to you, a 12-person campaign is super impressive. <laughs> I agree. It's really good. If, if you watch the first episode of our podcast, the largest Dead Zone tournament in the world it was actually held in Bali. I think there were, how, how many were there? Got, was it 20 over players or 30 over players? I, I think it was something like 28, close to 30 players. I think Jesse Driver in Bali, he, he played with all his students and they love it. They, it's, it's part of their arts and crafts and, and hobby class or something like that. Awesome. And I, I think we're going to cut the queue a little bit since we're talking about Dead Zone we should get none other than the co-host of Dead Zone, the podcast himself, Brian. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. So uh, my name is Brian Novak, as, as Paige mentioned. You know, thank you very much for uh, asking me to come on the show. I'm one of the hosts for uh, Dead Zone, the podcast. Uh, we, we took it over from two previous hosts, kind of handed it off to us uh, after they'd done it for was it a whole decade? <laughs> episode 100 was our first episode. We picked it up from there. Uh, with uh, my buddy Rick Hall. His first day as a Pathfinder, his first demo game, I walked into the store and went, that looks like a lot of fun. I'm going to play that. <laughs> I, I was a, I guess it's old school now, uh, Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40k player. Uh, so it was the Bretonian and Lizardman box, and then the Black Templar Dark Eldar box. So really aged myself there because that was a while ago. And uh, so I played a bunch in, in high school, went off to college and, and just didn't really find players and, and you know, moved into to different hobbies and stuff. And so when I, when I met Rick for that first time, it kind of brought all that, a little bit of that nostalgia back. Hey, these are little minis. I love playing with these things. The map itself is a really fun uh, space because it's very three-dimensional. It's not just scenery to occupy a space. Uh, and be an obstacle. It's very much, as we call it, the third player 
of a dead zone game is the, the terrain itself because it really has a major impact on it. We just finished our second full year of doing dead zone the podcast, uh, Rick and I. We got uh, a bunch of stuff on the docket. We expanded it a bit from just being Dead Zone to including Dreadball and Star Saga and kind of the, the Warpath uh, universe uh, sci-fi branch of, of Mantic Games. I absolutely love their, the games themselves. Uh, I've always loved that they're easy to pick up. Like the, the rules are not overly complicated. And, and some people take that as, as a negative, but it's like, no, it, it's that they're simple in, in execution and learning it, but to really become a master of it, it does take that really fine level of detail and attention and skill. And so it, it's got a great depth to the rule set, as well as very easy for, for folks to pick up and play. I know a number of, of friends, including Rick, he started as when he was seven years old, his son played and his daughter played uh, seven and nine respectively, and they're actually really good. <laughs> I do play uh, Kings of War and uh, Vanguard, uh, kind of, I really dip my toes in, in all the thematic properties uh, where I can. Like I said, the, I just really enjoy the, the rule sets, being able to uh, have the, the model agnostic for the most part is a nice way to, to get people into it and, and to allow, you know, a little freedom of creativity. One of my you know, go-tos, I, I play the Rebs in Dead Zone a lot. They're kind of a mishmash of different alien races. And, and in some cases, Mantic didn't even have models to represent some. And so it just kind of opened the door to, to be really creative with, you know, making minis. So I'll just showcase real quickly, like I have an infinity model that I've uh, added some extra arms to, and my camera's not going to focus on me. No problem. You can send me a picture. I'm going to yeah. put it up in post. <laughs> right. Uh, Brian, I, I just want to say, I love your ongoing joke about the Neomantic never supporting reps enough. It's just hilarious. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> and, I, and personally, I want to thank you and Rick for for hosting that podcast because it really made the the pandemic a lot more bearable for me and helped oh, me get you. into dead zone so much and uh and really uh it's been entertaining yeah thanks so much oh that, that's one of the i we really appreciate that and, and glad that we could we could help out in our small way we really just we love the games we love playing them the trick is always figuring out which one we're going to play right. <laughs> and uh making sure that yeah. uh we, we spread it around a little bit. Every so often, we just wind up playing Dead Zone uh, when it's like, oh, we came to play Dreadball or we came to play Star Saga. So it's a really fun time. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I also like the new version of Dead Zone, the podcast. I listened a little bit to the old one, but I liked it better when you guys took over, actually. That's my personal taste, at least. Well, thank you. I'm new to Dead Zone, so I've only ever listened to the new version of Dead Zone, the podcast. I wanted to dip into reps after realizing that they're the only good guys in the universe. In the defense of my co-host, it is one of those things. It's like who who you take with you. There's one, at least one named Rev character who's more or less a terrorist. So, right. <laughs> so we, we, we tend to joke is like the only good guys is like the Veermen who are neutral in that they just kind of want to be. And then everybody else, their, their motives can be suspect, at least. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Uh, since uh, Fred chimed in earlier, let's introduce Fred next. He is the founder of Kings of War Forum, kowforum.com. He plays Kings of War and Dead Zone. 
and he's the host of the Giant Dwarf podcast, which I'm sad to hear that it will be discontinued. Recent news when we are doing this recording, so sad yep. to hear that it will be stopped. I definitely enjoyed a lot of the podcast episodes. But Fred, why not you introduce yourself first, and we can talk more about that later on. So I'm Fred from Oslo, Norway. Uh, originally from a town called Moss, actually, but Oslo is where I live and have lived for a while. Uh, I started with uh, Warhammer back in '98. So I also am very familiar with that Bretonian versus Lizardman box, Brian. That was my first uh, introduction as well. I, so I started with Bretonians. Did play Warhammer for a while and then got a little bit out of it around my 18, when I was 18, 19, 20. It's a very familiar story, I think. I usually hear it when on, on the counter charge when people give their background. It's, it's always, I, I feel I recognize my own backstory in like almost everyone, like during... Uh, when you want to party and meet girls instead uh, and like them and when i was around 24 i got back into wargaming with warhammer 8th edition and then i, I had decided to stop hiding and embrace uh, miniature wargaming uh, like fully so i started tra traveling internationally uh, started going to the um, the ETC. My first one was in, in Switzerland in 2011, then Poland 2012, and just uh, started being becoming a part of the kind of international or at least European uh, Warhammer scene. Uh, after a while, I was able to become a referee at the ETC. So I was helping out in 2013. And in 2014 and 15, I was one of the main re referees uh, for Warhammer Fantasy. I was a bit sad when uh, Warhammer died because I was like, I felt like I was on top of the Warhammer scene in Europe. And uh, so, yeah, Warhammer really, Kit is writing here. Warhammer, yeah, did absolutely help a lot of us to get into miniature wargaming for sure. When it died, me and V Dog and Lars and some others, we were very convinced that Kings of War was the way to continue, especially since a lot of our club actually decided to switch to War Machine you know, War Machine Hordes, which for us was like an alien idea. We had no temptation to switch to a, a round-based skirmish right? game. Yeah, it's a skirmish yeah, game. So, so different. So it was like never a, an option for us. So we switched to King's War in 2015, switched pretty hard, started having uh, tournaments uh, right away. We had our first tournament in October 2015 and just built quite strong scene from day one, really, in Oslo and in the Oslo area. And after a while, me and Lars made the Giant Dwarf podcast. It was actually not the first Norwegian uh, podcast about Kings of War. The first one was made by William and Thomas, uh, two of our friends. It was in Norwegian, though, so it was more like a community building uh, podcast. But me and Lars felt that having only a podcast in Norwegian was a bit limiting. We wanted to spread spread the Kings of War talk to a wider audience. So we started Giant Dwarf to run parallel with Konger uh, Krieg Norwegian cast. We ended up running that for many years together. It was a good time. When Lars died, uh, V-Dog and me ran it for a little while. And uh, then it felt like it had maybe had its time um we were more when we when we me and Lars started the giant dwarf we it was a time where we felt like we really had a chance to actually affect things way more than uh, than now because we were one of i think we can claim to have been the one to really push the whole uh, no hills in the t deployment zone, uh, use a lot of terrain. Uh, many of those uh, original uh, things that be later became part of the game were 
pushed very strongly by us. And also we had many, as many of you know, I love house rules and I would always make house rules to nerf individuals. And we would use those in our own events. And I'm, I'm convinced that some of the rules in, in third edition now are borrowed really from ideas that we and maybe others had simultaneously, but ideas that we actually came up with and pushed. And like being able to move through individu individuals was a rule that we just made and used in tournaments locally in you know years before they picked that up for third edition now it seems like the game is more set and uh, there's not the room for uh, crazy ideas seems a bit less and yeah i don't know we, we don't i don't feel like we we were as influential in the last couple of years as me and lars w were in the in the beginning of when we started yeah, but it was fun and thank you all for uh, you know for having listened to it and uh, i appreciate the, the kind words about the podcast Thank, thank you for that introduction, Fred. Hey, even Lars's maps, his ideologies, the giant dwarf ideologies and maps are still surviving today and it's probably the most used map packs around the world. Yes, uh, still, which is fun to see that. It's like... And the biggest joke like, is uh, map number two. Yeah, map yeah, yeah. <laughs> guess, guess who made that map? It was me. <laughs> V-Dog, we, we had a, we had a um, tournament in November 2015 and V-Dog was arranging it. And he's, uh, for one of the games, he said that I don't have a map for this game. So you are. I, I want the players to make their own map and I will reward the best map. Uh, <laughs> so me and Bjorn, we just made that map with the, <laughs> with the cock and balls. And they said, hey, V-Dog, come and have a look. And he just hated it. And he was so <laughs> angry, like, damn, you guys. Uh, yeah, it was hilarious. We we did it because we knew he would hate it. <laughs> and so Lars couldn't resist. That's part of the crazy ideas that you were talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. So and Lars couldn't resist adding it to the official map pack. Um, <laughs> but it did actually spawn the idea of the double forest, which later mm. was one of my big my big things. That having several forests close to each other is actually a very interesting thing in Kings of War because you can see through the first one but not the other one so yes sometimes you have happy accidents uh, I guess yeah. glad to know yeah, that the podcast Giant Door podcast has got its objectives met and yep, one, I would like to say one of the segments that I like to listen to is when you guys critique on the rules of Kings of War that the part of the rules that are still not very good so I love yeah. it when I listen to that you know you don't hear the positives all the time but you hear a lot of constructive criticism in that segment and i really loved it yeah i, I do also appreciate the podcasts who uh, are not afraid to speak uh, critical a little bit when they feel like it i mean me and lars were we really had a deep uh, like affection for king's war and mantic and we we loved king's war so much more than we ever loved warhammer but still we were not uh, you know, we didn't hold back if there's something we didn't like. I want to give a little shout out to that uh, kind of new podcast, the Drunk and Disordered uh, podcast. I like those guys because they also feel a bit like they they don't feel affiliated with Mantic directly. So they also can, you know, sling a little uh, here and there if, if there's something they don't like in a more or less polite manner. <laughs> so thank you, Fred. Uh, could I ask a question to Fred? Because uh, Fred, you, you, you seem to be one of the earliest uh, adopters of uh, Kings of War uh, from Warhammer Fantasy. So do you know anyone that's part of the group that actually quit uh, Warhammer Fantasy and actually went over to create a one-page rules? You mean the guys who started the website or the guys yeah, who started created... the website? Yeah, oh. who started the website. Not sure. I, no, I don't think I know them 
personally. You just reminded me of something, by the way, about early, like the ETC and the Mantic. Mantic actually was at the last ETC in uh, Prague, wasn't it, in 2015? And they they had uh, free rule books for everyone. And my first, I was I was while I was referee, I was sitting there reading the King's War rules, <laughs> and like yeah, this is my next game. We already knew we were going to King's War even before the last ETC for that's, Warhammer. That's pretty interesting. If we could talk more on that vein, because I think still a majority of the ETC players from especially Europe, not a lot of them came over to Kings of War. A lot of them went on to Ninth Age, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. There was a vote. Um, the, all the captains on the ETC teams, they had a vote and two-thirds uh, voted for uh, the project that would later become Ninth Age and one-third voted Kings of War. So I was happy that there actually was a full one-third at least who mm-hmm. thought Kings of War was, was the best idea. The thing is that the only rules they had to uh, like base their decision on were the second edition rules you know the vanilla second ed rules which were quite lacking because that this was before all those later rules came like it, it just uh, as simple as the um, the rule that empires yeah like just grounding the one that flyers we, that was the one i was yeah. thinking about because mm-hmm. that made such a big change and so they would just read the rules and they f- found it to be a little thin you know and uh, yeah. i just i just wish there that the rules would have been one or two steps f- further down the road at that Definitely. moment in time because it would have made so many more of those captains uh, probably vote for kings of war yeah then it would have been a bigger amount of uh, support and popularity throughout europe isn't it because for US, I'm not sure Felix could chime in on this. US Masters, when they voted for Kings of War, that's when the popularity of Kings of War exploded in the United States. Is that right, Felix? Well, I mean, there were a, there are eight regions in the United States when it comes to Kings of War Masters, and not every region went in wholesale. Like for Texas, or the South region, as, as they call it, they went wholesale into Kings of War, and so that's why it's such a big scene in texas and the the other states of of the south other regions like the midwest that i i currently live in didn't (laughs) Uh, a lot of them went to ninth age and so it really from midwest as well right and he's actually so ohio went almost entirely over to ninth age wow i think minnesota for the most part still kind of stuck with some ninth age but some of the bigger pockets like Duluth and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the Twin Cities went over to, to Kings of War Chicago almost disappeared entirely Chicago was a big nucleus of the Midwest scene kind of holding the two desperate disparate ends of the Midwest together and they almost disappeared entirely and went to ninth age so it's it's been a struggle but then some re- like I said Texas went fully over some didn't at all some sort of stayed Again, with the Ninth Age. Um, so to say the U.S. did, it's kind of, eh, it's, it's a large country. But some of the regions that did kind of switch over to Kings of War versus splitting off into Warma Hordes or, or Ninth Age, um, you can kind of see their strengths now in the current Kings of War scene because they were early adopters. So awesome. everyone else is kind of playing catch up. Brian, you have anything to add on to that? Uh, admittedly, I can't can't speak much to the the Kings of War scene uh, as much, but I know like uh, Adepticon, which is one of the the largest uh, conventions that I've been to uh, for the gaming scene, and even uh, Gen Con, which just happened a couple of weeks back, uh, like that that's in the Midwest region. Uh, Adepticon is in Illinois, near near Chicago in the, the Schaumburg area. Gen Con's in Indiana, so it's just like right next door. So some 
know, a big part of that is also like just travel hubs of, of where air, airports are and everything like that. But uh, like I know those those events are just huge for the wargaming community in general. And uh, I think the last Adepticon, when they did, I believe it was the Masters, did they have 60 players? So that was the first time they had done, they, they made it kind of the U.S. championship. It wasn't Masters, but we still had probably... It was the Clash of Kings event to kind of coincide with the one they had in the UK. Yeah. I think it was like 56 players or something like that. I don't think they quite hit 60. I think they had 60-something sign up. We had a couple drops at the last minute, but it was still, you know, gotcha. Very impressive 60 players. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of, you know, how these regions sort of broke up and, and, and kind of adopted Kings of War. So it's been slow growing, um, but, you know, it's, it's still picking up. It is growing in different areas. I know the West Coast uh, was finally able to full, field a full team for the U.S. Masters this year. Uh, normally, they'd had to have rely heavily on mercenaries from other regions, but they actually had a full eight-man team, which is <laughs> yay for the West Coast. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Do you still know, like, a lot of players, especially your past uh, people in your community that are still actively playing Ninth Age right now? I never knew anybody to begin with because uh, I mean, we, we can kind of segue that into my uh, gamer origin story, but I did not play Warhammer Fantasy. Kind of shade yes. everybody else's. I was a young man uh, and I kind of got a little bit into 40K. Uh-huh. So I played a little bit of the 40K stuff, but I'm mostly the lore of 40K. I've probably read way more books than I've ever played games of, of, of 40K. So I didn't, I didn't get to play Warhammer. I wanted to. But obviously, kind of like everybody else, you get into wanting to meet girls and, you know, <laughs> live, live the live the university life. You know, I ended up getting married, joined the army, you know, a couple of deployments to, to, to Iraq and stuff like that. And I just, just wasn't in the cards to play Warhammer. So then finally, as I was getting ready to get out of the army, finally found myself in a good spot. Like, oh, yeah, I could play. I could play Warhammer. This is cool. And so then I, I went to the local gaming store. The owner of the gaming store, which is Critical Hit Games out of Abingdon, Maryland, was just like, yeah, GW just killed off Warhammer. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? What do, you, what do you mean kill off the game? You just kill off a game. He's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're not the doing it The world exploded. That's how yeah, they kill so, off the game. So that's about as the time I started to get back into Wargaming. Uh, but he was actually an early adopter of Kings of War. And so he actually had the beginning rule. He had the rules for second edition. And so he actually was giving demos. And so just during my lunch break, I, I had a demo of Kings of War. And I just sort of loved it. <laughs> and then I didn't touch it again for a year because I was playing X-Wing. Oh, uh, you were. Yeah, I got into X-Wing. But then after about a year, I was like, yeah, this sounds good. So I ended up buying the Dwarf starter box. And that was kind of my first kind of army and then my first game was against Cher- jake cherapika oh so yeah it was my first ever games game game of kings of war besides that demo game was, was against jake cherapika and then he was like cool man it's nice to say games like so when you leaving i was like thursday <laughs> <laughs> so I, and i moved to ohio where i'm currently at now and so thankfully of the people that adopted kings of war early on mike carter who's kind of the the godfather of of kings of war in the midwest area he literally lives like 15 minutes from my house. There was a fairly strong community of Kings War players locally here. So I just sort of just jumped right into playing with them. And so that's that's kind of just been where I've been uh, is in this Kings War community. As for other games, uh, one of my friends from college, from university, he's into Dead Zone. So he's kind of dragged me kicking and streaming into Dead Zone. So that's where I kind of 
have enjoyed playing that game. That's not my competitive game. That's that's definitely like the I show up and have my friend kick my butt for you know 45 minutes because the game lasts that long for me because I'm not good at Dead Zone at all. But yeah, that's that's just kind of uh, how how I kind of got into the Mantic games and, and and playing Kings of War mostly. But again, uh, some of the other stuff I've kind of got involved in some of the playtesting uh, for some of the games. I I play tested Armada and then I've been play testing. Uh, it's all third Dead edition. Zone, third edition. So that's been fun. Great. Thank you for filling in uh, all the information, Felix, because I've been a terrible host. I did not introduce your gamer credentials. And yeah, Felix, right up from the US, he's often on Countercharge Narrative Workshop segment, which is now, I think, going to be in hiatus. They're going to keep doing it. It's just a matter of, because with obviously Mark Zelinsky, who was the longtime host of the Narrative Workshop, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going into uh, podcast retirement, we've identified folks that are going to uh, replace it. But it's obviously with, you know, we had people running the Masters and going into the fall season. It's just been really tough to get everyone together to do it. Because Ben Stoddard, you know, obviously, he was also a co-host. I think he's going to take more of the mantle of the Narrative Workshop. And then we've got right. Jeremy Duvall is going to get involved as well. And uh, we're going to have a, <laughs> we've got some plans to involve some folks uh, that uh, kind of ran the international campaign day a couple years for, for a couple years. So uh, Mark Cox and Chris Kapsner and stuff like that. So we're going to try and whether or not we actually get that, but that's currently planned, uh, trying to get them involved in at least right. an episode, if not you know, right. more than one. Felix has also been a regular on multiple countercharge episodes. We know each other a lot from the After Dark used to be I the like google to, hangouts and right now i like to talk <laughs> i don't really contribute a whole lot but just just noise right now he's uh on discord and felix's nickname on after dark is captain trivia when we ask a question he must find the answer <laughs> that's what yeah that's 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 the downside of my superpower it's i i can't not know so i have to have to go off and look at it, go look it up. So I will, I will quickly go into the rabbit hole of Google trying to find out an answer for something. Yeah, and speaking about the international campaign, I think God was one of the anchors for the international campaign, especially in the Asian region, right, God? I'm don't not sure how it works. Maybe, God, you can fill me in on that. Yeah, I think the last one, was it Was it last year or the, the year before the last? So basically, it runs for 24 hours. So they actually need people to be on the Google sheet to update the results. So what happens is there'll be people sending in results by email or, or by other means. Then we, we just take turns to update. And depending on the how the results go, the, the story arc changes. So I think they, they did a fantastic job. What I did is just help them out for a few hours in our time zone. We even had players from Cambodia, Thailand, it's just... You you never know where where people are playing Kings of War. So that that was that was really fun. And locally, what I did is every year when there was an international campaign day, I got people to just show up at the game store just just to get some games in, you know, or like the week before the campaign day, just get them to play and just use the results to submit for the actual campaign. So that that, that was pretty fun. I like all the the narrative aspect of it. So the scenarios are different, objectives are very cool, very different. And like, there's like a rescue the princess kind of scenario, which we never play in a regular Kings of War game. So it does spice up the game. So I think there's one coming up, coming up early next year, if I'm not wrong, because I think this year they didn't have it. And this year, Mantic also had a campaign. So probably, I think early next year, there's going to be one, one more. So looking forward to that. Great. And I see Brian just typed into our show notes about uh, Mantic Pathfinder. So Brian's a Mantic Pathfinder. I know God is a Mantic Pathfinder. Anyone else here? Armentic Pathfinders in practice but not officially <laughs> yes. that's too much like work 
Same here. Mantic just uh, announced that they're looking for more Pathfinders. So I just submitted my application. I think it's in the process now. So Fred, if you'd like to give it Thanks. a go, I think their response this time around is much faster. <laughs> they got someone new taking over Elvis who was doing customer service. I don't know how he does it. He, he does all the customer service and now he's doing Pathfinder. He, he replied he's my amazing. emails today. It's like Saturday and he's like, what's your yeah. Facebook? And he just added me on Facebook a few minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, wow, amazing. you're working on Saturday. <laughs> I did submit one application each the last year and the year before, and I didn't get a reply. So, but this time is like so fast, I, I can't react in time. <laughs> Not ready. That's yeah. weird. They actually didn't uh, reply to you when you wanted to be a Pathfinder. That's weird. Yeah, to, uh, for the year and the year before that, I think they're <laughs> overwhelmed or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've considered possibly doing the pathfinder thing but when again your neighbors with mike carter essentially and he's like the pathfinder of pathfinders and does all the demos for mm. everything it's kind of like am i really needed <laughs> like it's like <laughs> just hey yeah. go con contact this guy he'll give you a demo he's got okay. all the i mean he's got 17 1000 point armies i mean you can just now, not just give you a demo of kings of war you can just be like hey i want a demo of kingdoms of men versus trident realm <laughs> or just like i want a demo of the you i mean you can pick the army that you're interested in playing for kings of war and you'll have a thousand points painted up for you to, to play awesome. so yeah so it's like me i'm just like hey i got a bunch of mantic armies uh yeah got, contact mike he's he's the guy so yeah, yeah mike, so that's why mike i haven't runs, done the pathfinder thing yeah mike runs that like uh how to use it is one of how his to, big yeah. events and, and so it's like yeah so uh, so for those who, who aren't familiar with the how you use a tournaments that mike carter runs basically the concept is it's a tournament that players will change tables round around but the armies don't he'll have a thousand points of elves versus thousand points of abyssal dwarves and then the next table will be a thousand points of orcs versus a thousand points of basileans and so like you can play from one table and play, you get patched, oh, I'm Basileans this turn. Then the next round, you're playing orcs. And then the next turn, or next round, you're playing, you know, Kingdoms of Men or something like that. So you so you move around. And so it's, again, it's, it's how you use it because you're not, they're not optimized armies. They're not the greatest builds. It's just like, okay, how do you pick up your, your army list and go, okay, how do I, how do I play this army? And Man, are they we all... have to do that for this one. <laughs> are they all his armies then? Felix? They're all his armies, yeah. Because that's the, like maybe it's, the it's a really cool concept, and the fact very that they're intense. all his, <laughs> the fact that they're all his armies kind of solves that one single thing people might have against it, and that's like I don't want anyone else to use my army. But if they're right. all his armies, then you get around that in a pretty brilliant way. Yeah, so like I said, he's got like I think it's seventeen or something thousand point armies, and he just he brings them. All. Are they all I mean, mantic? They're not, they're not big. Are they all mantic or do, they're do they... mostly mantic? Not all of them. Uh, he's slowly converting some of them over because obviously right. like kingdoms of men, right? Like, you know, it's kind of hard to do. <laughs> yeah, it's hard hard to do all mantic for the most part. Where, where there's mantic models involved, he he will get he'll use mantic models. It's but just it's... to showcase the models and stuff like that as well. So. That's a great segue into our main topic, going all according to plan right here, which is <laughs> about supporting Mantic Games. So I really like to do this podcast, and the reason why I picked this topic and picked 
this whole cast of uh, people here who are all bastions of uh, mantic games in general in their own communities and regions is that you know a lot of people are playing mantic games right now and there's so many choices when it comes down to models from of course your old warhammer armies to even the new games workshops age of sigma models which are highly stylized right now so some people really like it, some people don't. And to the explosion of 3D printing right now, resin prints, lots of Patreons for STL files, which are basically the 3D print files right now. So there's really a lot of choices and definitely Mantic might be affected by the amount of choices out there. So before we talk about supporting Mantic games, let's just do a quick liner or two on what we like about Mantic games. For myself is the clarity of the rules and people who tend to say it's you know it's very simple i always like to say this you'd find chess a very difficult game to learn in terms of the rules no right but are you a master of chess there's so many chess players out there and it takes a lot to become a master and just kings of war with two things with the movement being there's no grid being able to move anywhere and the randomness of dice that just made the game infinitely more complex than chess which already is such a difficult game in itself so that's the thing that i like about mantic and of course they engage the community very well i actually like the fact that it is a little bit similar to chess kings of war because there are some set ways you can move your unit right uh, compared to a skirmish game where you can just move it anywhere you can even go backwards as quick right. as quickly as you can go forward so when when we first started king's war i also said to people that it's kind of like chess because if you deploy in a bad spot there are actually uh, very few moves you can make that will completely save you from that situation uh, so you have to be very good at the movement like the the move part of the game because you have to plan a little bit ahead because there are only a few moves you can make compared to Warhammer, where you actually didn't need to be very good at movement because you could do something called a free reform, which was that, you know, you could just change facing. And then if you succeeded at a dice test, you could move in addition to that. So even if you were maybe at the wrong place of the, of the table, you could do that and then run off the completely other end. And you could just almost redeploy your whole army. In the King's War, you can't do that. You have to be skilled in the movement phase to be a good player. And I just love that so much because it was uh, such a change from Warhammer. So yeah, I just needed to say that. Wow, I've, uh, I've only played one year of Warhammer in 8th edition. And after that, I decided that it's not the game for me. So I kind of forgot that you can do that. And that uh, just blew my mind a little bit that actually Kings of War has more complicated movement strategies not 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 the rules but the strategies compared to warhammer 8 edition so that kind of caught me by surprise to continue the train of, of the chess comparison uh that's that's how i've always described dead zone is, is that it's three-dimensional chess in a very similar reign it's this one is grid-based which cut the time taken by measuring distance and position and all that kind of stuff that you get in, in more of other kind of skirmish level games Remove that completely. So it's all right. There's it's a yeah an eight by eight grid, and then you have cube based terrain. You can sit up on top of that. You can go inside it. You can go around it. All that kind of fun stuff, and that does have an impact on uh, your ability to like target someone. Uh, if someone is is up above on top of a piece of terrain and shooting down at somebody, they get a, an additional dice. It's like a three dice test system, and usually opposed dice rooms. 
modifications to those roles all come in the form of like, are you adding dice to the pool or you're removing dice from the pool? Uh, it, it's very streamlined. And I also uh, like to praise how there's a great utility to everything that's kind of brought to the table. So like, like I said, it's an eight by eight grid and we use D8s, uh, eight sided dice uh, for our roles. And so for things like Warhammer and 40K, say you had to scatter in a random direction. You had a specific dice for that and you'd roll it and then you determine distance and everything. In Dead Zone, it's, well, we have an eight-sided eight dice. There's eight directions you could go. So just roll and you'll, you'll match up with the direction. You know, those kind of things to really get the most use out of uh, you know, everything in the box, so to speak, is something that's uh, really impressive. Can I say something about that scatter dice, Brian? Do you remember how there was nothing more subjective than the exact direction of a scatter dice? Yes. <laughs> the least objective <laughs> measurement in, in, in the wargaming world, I think. <laughs> so the thing when I'm talking about for why I like the Mantic games, I, I, I'd say they're, they're elegant in terms of like, they're not superly rich complex in terms of just not just rules for rules sake and what little i did play a 40k i remember a lot of times you're just like wait a minute this is the same rule as that rule why are there like eight versions of the same rule under different names why, why are you forcing me to memorize <laughs> the same rule under different names and having to recognize that the same name you know eight ways to sunday especially like kings of war it's like elite elite means elite regardless of what army you're playing it, 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 it it's the same rule applies it's just and, and so for the way especially kings of war and in some ways dead zone well as well it's like uh there's a game that was in america when i was growing up called othello um i think it's called reversi throughout the world i don't know if othello ever made it outside the u.s but their slogan for their commercials was uh, a minute to learn a lifetime to master so that's kind of how i feel with kings of war like you can show anybody the demo game within 15 minutes, they've kind of picked it up and are, you know, kind of run around, make their own tactical decisions, stuff like that. But again, like, are you a master of it? Probably not after 15 minutes. It's, I mean, I'm barely mid table and I've been playing this game for years. The thing I like about it and the way Mantic has it set up, it's you can kind of get what you put into it or what you want out of it. It's like, if you want to go for painting models and, and, and doing the whole fashion show portion of it, yeah, go on ahead. If you want to be that crunchy win at all cost player, I mean, sure you might get dinged some sports points, but uh, yeah, you can go that route too. You know, that's kind of what I'm enjoying. And like I said, Mantic is very, you know, they're very responsive to their community. You know, some of the stuff that Fred was talking about that kind of got, you know, kind of adopted through through uh, stuff that uh, I think one of the scenarios that we play in Kings of War, the control scenario was an originally a scenario out of the Lone Wolf GT out of Texas, which is one of those crazy, wacky Texas scenarios. It just got Six flags of Texas, I think. Six flags of Texas. That was Something like that, game. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so it, I mean, it got, it got, a, it's now officially part of the game, and it was just a fan created thing. And so, didn't uh, unit strength in itself kind of come from uh, Lone Wolf like as that. well? That sounds about right, because, because uh, the old system that, for those that may have just come mm. in in third, it used to be points were how you determined stuff for like say dominate so you could have three rabble regiments yeah. in the center of the board but then one dragon that was like 350 points it win the game because that's that's more than yeah. the three rabble regiments combined and so people were just like wait a minute so and you had to, was... yeah, so you get your calculator out and like how many points is that guy? yeah that was how the cumbersome yeah that was the cumbersome part about it yeah, yeah it that was... was uh maths Ugh, <laughs> gross 
but yes, yeah, so that's kind of the stuff I, I, I like about Mantic as well as a company. I mean, more so than the rule sets is the fact that they are so responsive to the community. And then having the rules committees has been a really cool aspect of, of Mantic. So they, you know, they've got a dead zone rules committee. They've got a Kings of War rules committee. They've got, you know, an Armada rules committee. And so they've got players who are invested into these games, helping shape the rules. And so that's that's always been a really neat part of it uh, for me. Great points from everyone. I mean, uh, when you asked that question, uh, everything that came to mind, everyone highlighted them. Like, for example, yourself uh, and Fred, you talked about, you know, this comparison with chess, how easy to understand the game, but to master it takes a long time. And then Felix mentioning things like how they streamline the terminology uh, between different books. They don't use different words, you know. We know that GW is still making the same mistakes because looking at the new Kill Team that just came out, it's the worst written rule book ever. I mean, uh, I read the book. I couldn't make any sense of it. The first person that came up with a summary, he did it in one page. So, so it can't, it could have been simplified. They just didn't want to do it. And Brian mentioned something that I've noticed so much also is that everything that they give you in the box uh, of, of whichever box that you buy from Mantic, it's going to be useful. Everything has a few different uses, not just the dice, you know, it's the map, it's the terrain, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I find it quite amazing, you know, they can put so much into the design of things. And myself, I think what I can add is that tapping onto what Brian mentioned about the, the cube system, I find that quite brilliant because uh, it's just like chess again, you know. I, I tell you something simple. When you move, you move one cube or you move two cubes. You can move diagonally, you know, and you can place your miniature anywhere in the cube. So new players are going to go like, really? Wow, that's so easy to understand, you know. Like, okay, I'm just going to do that. But after that, you tell them, oh, by the way, uh, if you place your miniature here, you're going to get shot. Then he's going to think like, oh gosh, where's the terrain then? You know, like uh, how do I hide from the sh get, getting shot, you know, and, so, and all that. So, so all that is the, the depth that they don't see when they try to understand the rule. They know that they can move that easily. And I can tell you, this one has the simplest climbing rule ever. If there's nothing blocking you, you go up one floor. That's it. You know, there's, like, there's, there's no like, I measure and I still need another two inches just to make it up there and all that, you know. It, it's just too tricky to, to, to handle for newer players. And I tell you, for me, my first Wargaming experience, I, I appreciate they don't so much because it was so simple. But what I really appreciate the most is I teach as, uh, as my profession. I'm kind of like the demo guy, you know. I, I don't even call myself the chieftain. I don't know why Paige called me that. But I'm just the demo guy, you know. Like Gat says, there's a new player. Uh, Kit has everything. Isn't uh, that I the chieftain? I, Come on. Yeah, no, no, no. I, uh, no, no. The real chieftain is Larry because that guy has all the armies and they are all painted, you know. I, I'm the famous guy for playing with miniatures that are not painted. And, that's and all coming... the terrain. And all yeah, the terrain yeah, yeah. Well. Oh, yes. And Larry has all the terrain. I prefer to call myself the demo guy because, uh, again, I, I teach as a profession. So I, I find that a really uh, enjoyable process for myself to see someone learn something new and really appreciate it and then get hooked on it, you know? So what I appreciate most about this own, and especially Mantic products as a whole, you know, I'm sure all their games have the similar characteristic is that they're so easy to teach. I can teach a person that comes from a wargaming background. They've played games like uh, like the old Kill Team one. They've played other games like Infinity. And they've told me they love this zone. And because it, it simplifies things and it streamlines a lot of a uh, lot of different rules from those other, other games. And I've taught people that have come from the board gaming background. Board gamers, you know, they, they like a lot of structure to their games. Everything is, uh, you know, moving by squares, you know, by, by, uh, by these uh, fixed distances, etc. So they appreciate that because when they look at the dead zone board, they understand that because it's, it's cube systems. 
so after that, you just have to layer on the, you know, these are the stats of the units, and then this is how you roll your attack dice, this is how you defend yourself, and things like that. So, so there's, there's a starting point for every kind of gamer. For me, as a person that demos this game so often, I find it very easy to do so because I just have to understand where they're coming from and then I'll just layer on whatever is missing, you know. And I've even taught people that had zero wargaming background at all, you know, and they don't play any board games. And they, they learn the game in two sessions and they join our campaign directly. I, I just find it quite amazing and I've not uh, seen this in, in almost any other game. So so the simplicity really helps a lot. You, so Dead Zone, you move in cubes, right? I, I just saw in Dead Zone Fanatics, uh, I think Black Dragon Miniatures posted the first third edition demo and then someone was commenting, I'm new to this. So you mean you move in squares? And then someone replied, no, you move in cubes. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> and you know, unlike another game, you don't have to remember that a five-sided polygon means six inches. Pentagon means six inches in Q team, the new Q team. Oh, now, now so, the players have give, given up on that. Now they just mention the colors. So it's like, oh, I'm going to move one red and then I'm going to move one blue, you know? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> just save the inches, man. It just doesn't help anyway at all, those symbols. I held some demos too in Dead Zone. Uh, but I did it online, actually, on the tabletop simulator. Don't know if anyone has tried that. Uh, I wanted to try and share a photo of it, actually. Is it okay, Paige, if I try to sure, go ahead, share a... Let's see if I can handle uh, that. Wow, Dead Zone on Tabletop Simulator. Share. Can you see this? Yeah, wow. It looks wow, very that, real. Nice. It looks so much better than the Warhammer 40k uh, TTS uh, maps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So, and, um, so if you have Steam, you can just get Tabletop Simulator as a game on that. And then through this uh, option called the workshop in tabletop uh, simulator on steam you can download this uh, it's just called dead zone demo i didn't make these parts but i made this module to to say all these things you see here will be ready like when you download it and, and go to play it you will have this laid out in front of you with the dice and these ready lists if you see top left i have the command dice i actually made those terrain is someone else made it but i just made a table of it and locked it all together so it's playable and it was uh, i i had demo games with uh, several friends over the darkest times of uh, the covid uh, period and uh, everyone i've played with on uh, tabletop simulator have just really loved it and several of them have now bought uh, miniatures and are getting into dead zone that's fantastic uh, yeah I, I can recommend it uh, online if you if you if you live far away and have no one to play with it's it's it works really well it great, takes great. a little while to, to, if you're not familiar with playing in tabletop sim, it's, you, you might need a little bit of time to get used to the when how to zoom in and out and stuff. But you can ch even change zooms to be a first-person zoom. So you can play it as if it was like a computer game, first-person. You can move through the ruins. It's been working great. Yeah, there's definitely a learning curve to tabletop simulator itself. And then there's the learning curve to the game modules. So that's also something to consider, but it looks great. So I'll add it into the description of the video podcast so that people can check it out. Yeah, there is a Facebook group called Dead Zone Online. Uh, where also several of these uh, of this info is written and also posted pictures of it and uh, everything. So Dead Zone Online on Facebook is a place you can go. Got time 
time for you, man. You're the man that brought me into this game. He is the one that's been pushing Kings of War while I left Warhammer, did a stint of Warmer Hordes, and when I wanted to come back, come to Kings of War, he was there waiting for me. So, God. So he's the one we sent our angrily worded emails to. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Post-production note, I did not forget to introduce God. His game origin story can be found in episode one of the Newbie Dice podcast. I'm sorry, but yeah, his face is a lot better now, trust me. So <laughs> yeah, I have a similar uh, game origin story. We played fantasy. There was even one time me and Paige played uh, fantasy at my house till like 3, 4 years. Overnight, uh, an overnight, overnight game session. I, I love Warhammer Fantasy. I was a Wood Elf player. I loved it, but it always made my head hurt after every game. You know, you, you play two, three games a day, you, you just feel like you're just finding somewhere to sleep. One thing, I mean, as mentioned, the Mantic rules are fantastic. Another thing that I would like to say is how they make it accessible. Like, a lot of the rule systems are free. You can download it for free online. And during the pandemic, they actually came out with uh, single-player modes for a lot of their games. So they are very inclusive. They're not afraid of giving away rules for free, sometimes to their detriment, you know? I mean, you can be making money out of it. And another thing I like about Mantic is how, how being small, they are, it's very personal. You know, I, I know almost all the Mantic staff. I, I actually went to uh, Mantic in uh, 2019 for the Clash of Kings tournament. I had a solo trip to the UK. Maybe I can just share some photos. You can see my screens. Yeah, I went to Mantic. It was it's awesome. They actually invite people over there. So at the Cash of Kings, uh, Ronnie was like, if anybody's staying on, because Cash of Kings is over the weekend. So on the Monday, Tuesday, if they want to come to Mantic, they can just come to Mantic. It's pretty awesome. Then I got to meet uh, Dave. Dave is behind a lot of the games, Dave Simmons. Uh, he's, I think, behind uh, Armada. I'm not sure if he works on Dead Zone, but he's on Kings of War. Then also I met with, these are some of my opponents. I met with uh, Ronnie, of course. Poor Dave. Ronnie actually pulled Dave from his desk and say. You show him around Mantic, you know. So he was like working on something. He was working on third edition actually. So he had to bring me around Mantic and show me, show show me to all the crew. Was that so, the third edition map before it was even yes. released? Yes. So I actually have a copy of it. So it's hanging in, in my study. He actually gave it to me. So it's very personal. Ronnie is always there. We need to talk to him. Then I went to actually see the resin production. So this is where all you get all your resin crack from. It's, it's just basically one or two rooms, you know, I, I, it's amazing how they do it for the entire world. And I made, uh, so this is an example of the resin. It's a bit blurry, but yeah, you can see. So they, they have the resin box where you can take, pick up all the miscasts. So that, that was pretty cool. And I just like how open they are. So this is Ronnie with uh, Matt James. So Ro Ronnie was actually talking about OGW models. Yeah. You know, he was so open about it. And Matt James is on the roof committee. So I had this game before the tournament itself. So I just like how small and inclusive they are. It's easy to reach out to them. A lot of times where you actually put the players in the game, like, like we all know Jesse and how he is in the game. He has a miniature name after him. There's item name after him. But even before that, like the Magwa's portion of the Caterpillar, Magwa was a, someone on the forums, the Matic forums previously. Then now you have more and more players who are writing books, you know, like Matt G is coming out with his own book. He's a known player. He comes out with his own book. So it, it really makes the community small. You know, it's just a, a good thing about being a small company. I mean, there's definitely cons to that as well. But I think having being a small company really helps, helps you feel included in the community at large. 
I just love how, how it is. So, yeah. Sorry about introducing Paige to the world. Yeah, he's... <laughs> Unleashing me on the world. Yeah. Slow playing to your death. Yes. Right. <laughs> okay, so... Anyway, let's move on to... Oh, yes, Kit, you want to chime in? Uh, I just want to personally thank Get too because uh, he's really a big reason why I uh, got into Mantic. Well, I, I went to Hammer House, our local favorite on my first visit, and he was there playing Kings of War. I was amazed. I was like, what's this? This looks like a Warhammer Fantasy, but it's not. Oh, yeah, I read about this Kings of War, you know. Oh, wow, this is uh, get, you know. Okay, uh, you know, the, but the funniest thing is I came out <laughs> that day not wanting to play Kings of War, but I offered to demo a Dead Zone to him. <laughs> that, was, yes. that was hilarious. <laughs> yes, so I, I was actually, uh, I'm actually not a fan of sci-fi games, essentially. You know, I just found it very complicated and just overly complex, too many rules. Right. I mean, in the typical sci-fi games, but when Kit showed me the map, showed me the games, you just add dice, you remove dice, you can see, you can shoot. And I like fighting. I like the melee. So I'm, I'm, I'm team reps. I, I'm like of our Siemens all the way. So I was like, and I'm you a big guy. <laughs> no, I'm I think you guy. got attracted by the by the dwarves first, by the Forge Fathers. Yes, Forge Fathers. Hammer time. Yeah. Yeah, but they were a bit slow for me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your first I mean, they, they're fun. I, I actually played both Forge Fathers and Reps, but Reps was Reps was my thing because I'm I'm a big guy by Asian standards and my wife calls me a, a Sasquatch. I would argue you're a big guy by a lot of standards. <laughs> <laughs> Mantic encouraging players to play their games and allowing, you know, it being model agnostics, mean, meaning you can use any models to play their games. And that comes with its pros and cons as well. Firstly, the movement. Uh, there's a recent shift in the tabletop games movement where rules suddenly became free, right? I think a few companies started doing it. I'm not sure if Steamforge was the first to do it with Guild Ball. Used to be you can sell the rules and you can sell the models. And then suddenly there was a time where game companies started giving out rules for free in hopes that you would buy the models, right? So then Mantic gives out the rules for free too, or at least the demo version, which is pretty much the whole game just minus the items. And, uh, and then they say you can play with any model. So you could play Mantic games without paying a single cent to Mantic. So that's, that's one thing right there, which can be a pro and can be a con, right? But definitely when, uh, if we just talk about Kings of War primarily, when Mantic allowed you to use any models, definitely is to attract the old GW Warhammer players who has Warhammer armies who wanted to jump to a different game. Mantic was there with wide open arms and free rule books at ETC. <laughs> so definitely there were some converts there. But hey, this is to get you through the door, right? To get you trying Mantic games. And if you really like the games, why not consider supporting them by buying more models? Because if you're just going to buy $50 worth of rule books and maybe a $20 supplement every year, that's not going to keep the company afloat. That's not enough to pay their staff, let alone let the company grow, right? And I know Mantic said this on Kings of, I think, Countercharge podcast before. He says, I don't want you to buy our models just because it's a requirement to play my, our games. We want you to buy the models because you genuinely like how it looks, right? And definitely the looks of it, they have been improving in their models department in the aesthetics and the quality. 
But it is a uphill battle because Games Workshop with so much money and customers at their disposal, they can churn out very good quality kits uh, very fast, whereas a hard plastic kit just takes a lot of time for Mantic to produce and it's quite a hefty investment. Yeah, maybe I can just chime in. I think in terms of if people are unsure, GW is a billion dollar company. So Mantic is somewhere in the millions. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge uh, disparity. But Mantic has grown quite a bit. I think they started with like a handful of people. Now they're up to like 30, 30 odd people working in Mantic. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that, Gat. Right now in this 3D, this, this explosion of the 3D printing popularity that makes the future very uncertain for game companies when it comes to model production. That was always something too, I think. It was something where, where you know, there's legitimate competition against uh, Games Workshop because, you know, they, they really did bring so many people into miniature gaming. And they really kind of set the bar of this is an expensive hobby. <laughs> with, with Mantic and in the, the early stages, a big part was that they, they had a more affordable model range to introduce you to the game. A lot And a lot of the, this is a bit more of a dead zone, but like your starter boxes gave you enough to play multiple lists at competitive uh, like point ranges, right? So, so you're getting started really gave you enough to go crazy uh, and then would have a booster or something like that. But uh, like on the, the Kings of War, Dead Zone, you're playing 12 odd models on average. Kings of War, you've got potentially into the, the hundreds. hundreds of models to paint and field and whatnot. To have someone go from one game, it's like, okay, I'm going to set aside everything that I've invested in here and I'm going to go here. Do I have to invest again? Do I have to kind of start over? And that was, I think, a, a really positive message from Mantic is like, we believe in our games, that if by playing them, we can win you over and then you'll, you'll start supporting us in, in other ways. That price point, I think, is, is always a barrier to entry for new players and converting players. And the Dead Zone side of things, like, well, hey, if you have infinity models, if Dead Zone's 28 millimeter, generally speaking, like the, the new 40K stuff, I think is 32 there's some wiggle room around there. We, we do try to say it's like, you know, as long as it's close to the size of the, the model that's supposed to be, generally speaking, you could you can proxy it. Getting people over that, that initial hump, it's like, if you can get them past this hurdle uh, to say, okay, well, you don't have to buy anything right away. You can try it out. You can try before you buy. And, uh, you know, once it's in your hands and you're looking through and you're having a fun time, you know, that's, that's when it's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to reinvest. I'm ready to commit uh, to, to playing this more. I mean, it's a bit of a scary subject, this whole 3D printing issue, because um, I've been hearing more and more people lately, like talking about it in a way that I didn't think would be possible for, for years to come. Like, yeah, I printed my new army and I'm going to, play it next weekend it's i'm still a bit shocked that uh, that's actually uh, possible now to just print whole armies i understand the, the desire to to do that if you find a really cool army or model 
uh, to just browse the models available. But a part of me still just feels like I I, I have more, at least for myself, I, I would stay away from that. And I, I like to just pur purchase models from Mantic that they make uh, to support them. It's hard for me to, I don't, I don't want to be too critical to people who go into 3D printing because they might have a big love for Kings of War or Dead Zone and Mantic games and want to support them. But still, it's like their their actions kind of say otherwise. I mean, how many uh, dollars is it possible to give through books or rules purchases? At least for me, it's when I first have decided that I like a game or a company, I just feel compelled to you know steer my purchases that way and buy if as long as there's an option from mantic i just feel like i have to buy it i i don't want to buy anything else from another company or a 3d printed uh, it just tastes wrong to me you know and i don't, I don't need to want to say that to to step on anyone's toes it's just i don't know i feel like i need to push as much money as possible into the company that i like and I hope other people do the same. Uh, maybe, maybe Mantic need to find some way down the line to get a bit connected to this 3D business. Make, maybe start making their own 3D models, uh, selling their own, own STL files to you know to bridge the gap a little bit there between the old and the new world. What do you guys think? I kind of agree. Well, the thing is, obviously, I haven't figured it out. They haven't figured. No one's figured it out yet, or else they it would it would be the thing. I do agree that that's gonna happen, and whoever is able to capitalize on that that new shifted paradigm is, is gonna do well. Like I said, I, I I'm kind of like Fred. I mean, that could just cause be I'm old or getting old. You know, I I tend to like I've got corner of my table is just covered in halfling models right now because I've just ordered a bunch of halflings just because you know, why not? I could see where people are just that the people the review is it's not my job to buy mantic models if they don't make the models that I want to play with. I, no, no, that's fair. You know, I tend I, I tend to like the old school, just buying the box, opening it up and, and you know, assembling models. Um, but I know people that don't, they just like to be like the, oh, I want to find this, find this STL file and, and then just print and go. And there's no, there's no, once you print the model and cure it, there's there's nothing to do with the models are already, it's, it's prepped, it's done. You don't need to, you just need to, prime and go i think there'll always be a place for for the models and people to buy the models but if that's a sustainable model i i don't know because i mean there's still people that are cobblers and make shoes for a living but like it's hard to sustain a lifestyle you know making shoes anymore because you can just go to any hell you can go to grocery stores half the time and buy a cheap pair of shoes so whoever men whoever manages to make this shift into the new print 3d printing world and i think it's going to be a hybrid model for a couple of years like you said if Mantic could do a way of of making their stls available which i think at that point you have the digital rights management side of the house because as everyone knows that that lived or was in university around the time of LimeWire and Napster and stuff like that, once a file gets released into the digital world, <laughs> you have no control of it anymore. Like imagine the first GW or Mantic or whatever releases an STL and then they no longer make any money off of it because it's just dudes just emailing it to each other uh, to 3D print. So, yeah. so I don't Maybe I don't know they, how that yeah. solution is going to be. But it's going to have to happen sooner than you and I were preparing. Like I was thinking we're probably a decade removed from being able to see 3D printing as a viable. But the friends of mine that do do 3D printing, like I said, it's almost every six months that a new printer comes out. And so the printers they got, they're almost like 
almost like computers back in the day where it's just like the second you checked out that computer from Best Buy or, you know, whatever electronic store, it's already out of date by the time you got home. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of the way the 3D printers are now. So maybe they need to start having some sort of hotspots uh, spread around the world where there's a tiny cubicle office with a 3D printer. So you, you can buy your 3D printed army from Mantic and go to their tiny cubicle and get it printed for you there. Or have mm-hmm. a guy who just prints it for you and gives it to you, sort of. Uh, right. <laughs> so you don't but end up with the actual file. You just get the product, sort of. War Room Hobbies, uh, located in uh, Cordova, Tennessee. They actually have a bunch of 3D printers that they can sort of do that. You provide them the STLs and they print it off for you and you buy your physical product. Because I don't have a 3D yeah. printer. I mean, I can't even finish my basement. So much less buy a 3D printer. So 3D uh, print one. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and I just don't, I don't have the time or patience to do something like that. There are people that are willing to, there's stores that are willing to, hey, just provide us the files, you pay us a, a, a fee, and we will 3D print that thing for you. So it, it's like uh, getting your yeah. photos, photographs developed, but it's right. 3D printing files right now. This is the future. Yeah, but maybe some sort of a store chain like you know maybe copycat will start providing that service in addition to everything else they do like uh, we starting now we also can print like 3d print uh, files for you i mean that would be brilliant move if you can just go to your local you know copy shop and get a get your army printed i mean the (laughs) if you can make that work then you could solve the problem with the stl files not uh, being spread to everyone uh, like to the wrong people you pay Mantic Games for the rule books, which is like 50 bucks or 100 bucks with all the supplements. And you think of starting on a new army project and you're like, oh, the new GW, uh, the, the new orcs, the Dominion orcs look good. I'm going to make an army of that. You're going to dump like a few hundred or even up to a thousand dollars into that army. And, you know, you love this game, but you're contributing a hundred bucks to this company while you're paying a thousand dollars worth of money to the other company. While that money could have went to Mantic to help them out, to help them expand, to help them support the game even further. So I, I just hope that people would be thinking about this aspect when they are planning their next army and talking about 3D printing, right? A lot of, you know, I hear a lot of people who say that, you know, we're still very far from everyone owning a 3D printer and printing armies. There's a learning curve. There's there's a lot of time to invest into this 3D printing as a separate hobby in itself. But the thing I like to say is this, you don't need every tabletop player to own a 3D printer. You just need one guy in every community that's willing to print for the whole community. And that is pretty much what is happening right now. Pretty much every community has one guy who's there to 3D print, who's your resin dealer, right? Yep. Your liquid resin dealer, what what army you want? I'm, I'm going to print it for you. Yeah, you hear stories about that. Like uh, Everyone seems to have a friend now who can print for them. So yeah, the, it's definitely becoming a, a reality. Yes, and right. they're subscribing to so many Patreons that's uh, providing the 3D files. I think their monthly Patreon subscription might have exceeded, just one month alone might exceed how much they pay in terms of rule books to Mantic. So right. yeah, mm. it's just... And, you know, their, their model quality is getting better slowly, right? Like the recent Salamander's army, I think some of the models are really, really good. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm becoming, uh, like for me, since I've always been this way that I just feel a desire to buy stuff from Mantic. In the early days, I did it with this sort of sometimes mixed feeling that, well, these models are okay, 
right you're, you're supporting doing the less the optimal purchase yeah but now it's uh, more and more i'm you know that feeling is going away and i'm starting to feel like i'm actually getting and buying really nice models which is you know how it should be of course so um yeah, yeah. more often now i feel like i'm getting the the models i actually want like you know they're getting really nice and yeah the new salamander stuff is looking great new the goblins and ratkin i've I bought some of those and uh, it's so much better than the experience with the with the older kits so um, it's it's absolutely becoming a, a more and more of a joy to work with the mantic models yeah definitely and you have to be patient with mantic they do have their in-house resin production but you know resin kits are more for bigger models or rather singular uh, heroes and individual models when it comes to big uh, rank and file units they have to go to the sprues the plastic sprues and i'm not an expert in this but i know that the cost to make the mold for hard plastic sprues are very high i think it costs between 10 000 to twenty thousand per sprue because it's made of metal right yeah, the, the mold the mold yeah it's it's per sprue so like one halfling box that's three sprues so that's thirty thousand dollars 50, 60, maybe even 50, 60, depending on how complex the sprue is. And also, yeah, so Mantic doesn't have the, I mean, for what I've heard, they probably have the capability to churn out three or four plastic kits a year. So That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for well, what they do is every plastic kit, they have resin add-ons. Like for the red cane, they had all the scarilla, I mean, all the different add-ons for the different units. And for halflings as well, they will have add-ons for the juggers and the stalwarts for, for the main plastic kit. So I think maybe I can just share what I think about 3D printing. It's getting more and more popular. I think one way how the other company does it, they just ban it from their tournaments. So that kind of works in some cases, but there will be people who, who still do it anyway. How Mantic is doing it is the softer approach. If you win a Mantic event in UK or US with a 90% Mantic army, you get to fly to UK or US, depending on where you're from. So that, that approach kind of works. I see a lot more people in the UK going with Mantic armies in the hope that one day they can win a flight overseas if they win Cash of Kings. So even locally, our gaming store, because uh, Hammer House is actually run by my childhood friend, he also did mention that there is there are more and more people playing Kings of War in our store now. In our recent league, we had like 15 players and we have another handful new players interested to come in, but a lot of them are reusing their old models from Warhammer Fantasy or from Warmer Hearts or from other games. Or in some cases, a few of them are 3D printing models. So we are we are worried about that. The, the number of players don't correspond to the sales. Like a lot more people play the other games. You know, they, they buy... They buy the starter sets, but they don't actually play the game. But, you know, so that, that's, that's one concern that we have. But we, we try to look at it in a positive way because they go to the store, they not only buy miniatures, they buy paints, they buy hobby materials as well. We try to push it from that, that angle. And if they buy, let's face it, a, a lot of our gaming stores rely on GW to survive. So if they're buying GW to play Kings of War, it's, it's bad. It's not good for Mantic, but it's, it's at least bringing me money to the local gaming stores. That's at least a plus point over there. But Mantic is improving. So it's a long slog, but the Goblins, as Fred mentioned, it's it's light years away from the Goblins 10 years ago. I think Gat knows this very well together with me because uh, throughout the whole campaign, uh, the zone campaign that we ran, you know, it was such a friendly group. We did not force anyone to buy anything Mantic. I personally loan armies to almost uh, half the players. And the thing is that a lot of them just decided that they wanted to buy the models eventually because they yeah. just wanted to own their own models. 
And I did tell them that, you know, you could uh, maybe consider proxying some models first, uh, try out the army, then decide which one you want to buy, etc. And many of them, uh, they made their choices very quickly. And uh, even some of them were actually proxying using GW uh, miniatures. They all decided that they wanted to uh, support Mantic. That's the great thing about Mantic as a community brand. That's, that's what I feel because we, we, we can feel the love in the game. We can feel how, how uh, the company actually uh, communicates with, uh, with the community. And we appreciate that. And they all want to show support. I, I just want to say that the brand matters, you know, the, the way how friendly it is. It really matters to the community and people will organically choose to support you rather than feel like, you know, they, they are being forced to and they're being told to or they're just being tricked by your marketing or so, you know. So I think there's, there's definitely this strength that Mantic can keep too. But like, you, like a lot of you have mentioned that 3D printing can be a problem but at the same time an opportunity for a lot of uh, companies out there uh, there are a lot of YouTube videos out there uh, uh, saying that, you know, uh, 3D printing will be the doom of GW. I think if, this, if 3D printing is the doom of GW, then no other hobby company can stand a chance. I think uh, a hybrid model uh, is definitely the way to go. But I also feel that I think it has a lot to do with the price point. I know players that decided to go ahead and buy Mantic products uh, because they feel that it's affordable. So, you know, if I would only go for 3D printed models, if I, I, don't, I can't afford the, the more expensive branded stuff, you know. So if, if Mantic can maintain, you know, a, a reasonable price point where players feel that I, I would rather support this rather than go for 3D printing because there's also cost to, to 3D printing. So I think they would rather go for that, you know, to, to support something that they love and more or less keep it at the same cost to their personal finances. I think there's also that perspective to take into account. I just uh, had a thought that uh, actually for, uh, for Dead Zone, it might actually be less of a problem because if you buy like a box, like a Dead Zone strike team or a strike force or uh, whatever it's called, that's much easier than searching for those models and getting them 3D printed. You know, if you get a box with like, these are the exact models and that's much simpler than, than than going shopping it might be a bigger problem in kings of war where you maybe look for large armies and uh, try or, or um, try to create this artistic expression you know oh i want like fish people in my army but uh, the skirmish games might be better i've never i mean i've seen someone do proxy for dead zone just for their first games but as soon as people like it you know they want to start maybe buying like a booster box or something, then like, uh, yeah, that's a simpler way of building your little strike force. So Yeah, definitely. Um, Just hmm. one dead zone box, you can play at a competitive level, right? Even at yeah. the, the latest halflings for Kings of War, I think you need to buy two mega armies and then some just to fill the 2,000 point army. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah so Not that's also yeah. makes it more pricey uh, as well. So it's more expensive and... Uh, right. Yeah, it's just so a higher it's, uh, barrier to entry. Yeah. 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 So uh, the, the temptation like said, to a lot easier. Yeah, the temptation to explore the three D option might be larger for Kings of War than it is for Dead Zone. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Nothing against uh, players who are using their old game collections to dive into Kings of War or Dead Zone, because that's how most of us started anyway. I played with Redkin using my GW Skaven. And in fact, it was my first fully painted army in any game system, right? I played Warhammer for a year. I played Warmer Hots for three years. 
Warm Hearts is famous for playing with unpainted models because the the, <laughs> the meta just changes too fast. You just you just buy the mod, model and you play. Even for Warm Hearts, Privateer Press uh, mandates that you have to use their models to play. They even have rules on conversions. If you have conversions, the model must be base 50% Privateer Press, right? You can uh, have yeah. green stuff, you can have other bits, but 50% <laughs> of the model must be Privateer Press. <laughs> So, yeah, I heard I heard about that from the people in our club who played the War Machine and we were just so, we couldn't believe it. So they have mandated it in Kings of War and Mantic. They're like, go ahead, use whatever models you want. And it has opened the doors to this artistic freedom, right? Artistic and creative expression because we do want to make beautiful armies. You get a lot more people in, of course. Also, you get people to like. I mean, they appreciate the company for giving them that option to just play with their old old collection you'll probably always have those i mean the most casual players maybe they play once or twice a year they will probably never buy a new army anyway true and the more competitive players they might be the ones who are sort of always trying to make their army better you know i need to add one unit of this to make it more optimized the more competitive players are probably the ones who do the most purchasing too of models Know, purchasing or printing. The people generating sales are probably the players who try to always keep their army top level. Yeah, yeah I'd be I'd be pretty interested to see kind of how that would work because it's not like Games Workshop's model where every quarter there's a new army out that becomes the new hotness. You know, for us at for Kings Kings of War especially, I mean it's it's a once a year update for everybody, and so mm-hmm. there's not that constant churn of Oh, I need to buy this new chapter for Space Marines because they're the most competitive. Oh, I got to do this new Eldar craft world now because it's the most competitive. And so, you know, you're, you're not buying yeah. three whole armies a year, which is you're just updating, you know, and you're playing like, oh, well, armies, I need to get this new unit. But that's one box. By the way, by the way, they changed it to Eldari. <laughs> Eldari. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not here for, I'm not here for, for made up words just because they want the, I know the copyright. Yeah. Um, Hilarious. But that's a, just a different model. So I'd be, I'd be almost curious to see like the, the real competitive gamers, you know, in Kings of War, I, I don't see them doing that. They're not, I don't see them like constantly churning out a new army every single time because, you know, for us, painting does matter. You know, you can't just take a, you know, a barely primed army to a GT and hope to win the whole thing. Yeah, sure, you might get best general because you're, you're just smashing everyone's faces in. But, you know, if you're not painted, it's, you know, it really kind of limits you. And so even the, the tryhards, quote unquote, are still painting their armies. And so that's just, especially for Kings of War, that is a lot higher barrier than Dead Zone where you just have to paint 12 models. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah not trying to limit any player's artistic freedom of expression and as well as them starting the game using their old models and armies but really would like to invite players when you're thinking about starting your next army keep mantic models or man- the range in your considerations like maybe i will make a mantic army for this faction because i i do know that the salamanders that just came out a few months ago they are pretty sweet models but just before they were released, there was also a, a very popular Patreon that's uh, releasing Lizardman models. 
And a lot of people would go like, yeah, the Mantic ones are pretty good, but I like this Patreon one better. It's just the aesthetic speaks to me and like that just breaks my heart because the Salamander's models are really good. But if they're going to compete with every single STL artist out there, there's definitely people who are able to churn out very beautiful models that will rival Mantic, right? A topic that we've talked about on, on our podcast with the kind of explosion of other model agnostic games, what we've kind of found is if we, we can kind of push the Mantic models so for as a model range to play these other games in. So like the, the Maison Lab Force, which are just kind of these security guys and, and rangers and stuff, you know, go great for games like Five Parsecs from Home, uh, not Frostgrave, Stargrave. There's just been a, a big boom in, in those kinds of games coming out where it is just kind of, here's the rule book. Uh, you guys, you know, can figure it out. Um, and so that, that's been kind of one angle that we've, we've taken where it's like, hey, you know, here, here's another way you can get that great value out of the, the investment um, that you put into the models. And then on the 3D printing side, it is something like, like I've got a 3D printer for, for FDM stuff. Uh, and then my buddy Rick has um, both resin and, and FDM. We use it to kind of supplement. Rick kind of famous is like, I have every single model for Dead Zone. We do really still like make that push to, to get Mantic you know, models and, and content when, when we can and where we can get it. I have an elf army that I haven't really had a chance to update to like a third edition standard yet. They are predominantly Mantic with the exceptions, the 3D printed chariot, because I need one for the tournament. And then my, my Dracon riders in the back there were, were 3D printed as well. But I, I you know, that was, that was something I really took on, on myself where it was like, I want to, if, if I'm going to be a Mantic Pathfinder and I'm going to you know, demo these games and try to get people involved. I'm, I'm going to put that foot forward and say, Hey, you know, this is the Mantic model range. I know elves are kind of famous. Yeah, they get, they get a lot of flag, right? How, how are the yeah, elf yeah. models? They're honestly not bad. I, I do like, they're not heroic scale, which is what you, you get from a lot of other model ranges. So the proportions are more slimmer, I guess. Mm. They're fun. I have found that I, I do like the kits and everything like that. I still have a bunch of ones out there. You can see I also have a lot of fun with my my hobbying. Uh, are they googly oh. eyes? Those are googly yeah. eyes on, on my uh, nice, there. nice. Yeah, I, I think the elves get a lot of uh flag, but the the palace guy actually pretty nice. There, there's a lot of great ranges, especially now like Northern Alliance. Oh my yeah. gosh, those models look so good. And they're they're continuing to to create a lot of great, great models. And I was kind of thinking like on the 3D printing side, like we, we've talked a bit about some hybrid models. It is going to be the way of the future and you, you're either going to fall by the wayside or you're going to have to adapt and, and compete. There's there's a famous quote where it's like, I'm not in the, the wagon business, I'm in the transportation business, right? And so you you, you adapt and, and change. One thing that uh, we've kind of toyed with, because we've talked about it on our show, Mantic maybe being able to release old STL files for models that are they then have out of print or or have moved on like they uh, with Dead Zone third edition there's going to be new hard plastic marauder orcs uh, coming out and so it's like well you know you might have the 3D model of that old mold for the old designs maybe that's something you can start offering out to people to the the point the Patreon you kind of mentioned is a huge 
revenue generator where people are, their whole business is this subscription model, right? So that could be something I think could take a serious look at is, is like, okay, knowing that, you know, as soon as these files get out they're they're in the wild and you really have no control over them. Being able to do a subscription where it's like, okay, you know, you guys come back and we'll have two old models and maybe one that is STL exclusive, right? Or, or something that's, you know, you put a little investment into that, that space is a huge business decision. Uh, right. When when to make that pivot and what that's going to mean to other production uh, concerns, um, you know, it, there's there's not going to be an easy answer. It, it'll likely mean that you have to you know trim off somewhere else in order to start making that change in adaptation. Mantic does kind of feel like one of those companies that really could make that pivot. Hopefully near the beginning of it, and hopefully you know that becomes a major success. Yes, looking at your elf models, I was just thinking if Mantic were to redo the elves, the hard plastic spruce, you know, once again, sunk cost, right? Fifty or sixty thousand dollars just to make the template. And they always have to wonder, am I gonna sell enough units of it to because other than the template, there's the production cost of every single sprue, right? So mm-hmm. they have to always figure out and make that decision. Are we gonna sell enough of it just to make it worthwhile to earn back the template cost and then some right on top of it yeah i think i can just add on uh what i gathered from my visit to mantic was i uh, talking to speaking to dave is they only want to come up with something that isn't really out in the market they want to come up with something that is unique they don't want to just come up with l's that are already made by other companies I think because the, there's a risk the, right they're, that they're not yeah, going to sell enough yeah like the off-mark l's are pretty nice so if they want to come up with l's they have to be even better than the than the ones from off-mark for example so of course those are really nice elf kits they have the light light armor and the heavy armor yeah ones. if you look at gw when they produce like hero models you know named characters yeah. and it's just like a small model like like what's that fire, fire slayer guy called and whatever he's called <laughs> they sell for what 50 bucks because yeah because they know i make the sprue right i make the template every dwarf player is gonna buy only one because you don't right. you can't field multiple copies of it so if you look at the gw pricing for their character models you'll notice that it's insanely high because they have to earn mm. back that template cost because they know that firstly you must own that faction to be wanting to buy this guy and secondly you are at most going to buy one of it it's not like a space marine kit <laughs> you can buy 20 kits of right. it for one army that's the sprue costing for you guys i think the end message here is that you know when you start your next army project do consider mantic if you have armies, but you do not have a man- Mantic army yet, do consider a Mantic army as your next army project. If you already have one Mantic army, this is uh, my next uh, sort of challenge, which is try to think of making half your collection Mantic. So right now I have two Mantic armies and two non-Mantic armies. I'm going to, my fifth army is going to be Mantic. That's the way I'm going, you know, 50% of my armies, half my armies are Mantic armies. So even, and get creative, right? My I have a Mantic Order of the Green Lady army and there's no Order of the Green Lady models, but I'm just picking from every single part of the Mantic range from Basileon, which is the easiest to see, right? Because it's humans, but also uh, Fossils of Nature, also Northern Alliance and a little bit from Abyssos even. So just to create my Mantic 
uh, out of the Green Lady Army. Just to tap on to the fact that, especially Brian was talking about using Mantic models in other game systems. I'm taking revenge for uh, Mantic here with this screen share. Some Mantic uh, werewolves, I converted them to Crypt Horrors. And since we are talking about 3D printing, I think something that 3D printing cannot replicate is creativity from our players, you know. So Gat had the opportunity to actually play on this fantastic Avatar Planet board uh, for his Dead Zone match. Uh, this was uh, totally scratch built by um, Eric and his two boys. So they, they lost, made, by uh, the way. But this is really something that uh, you can't replicate with 3D printing uh, that easily. And I think there's still a lot of space for creativity. It I think that's really made, uh, mainly yeah. from aquarium uh, decoration yeah, yeah, plants, plants aquarium decoration because they are really colorful. Yeah, yeah. And the same time they painted it, and then there's this little uh, uh, pagoda that's in the so middle cool. with some uh, li jade lions, uh, oh, the audience, you know. So yeah. So there's a lot of very interesting things that you can do. We played on this wonderful set of uh, towers that was created by a local player uh, called SC. He's sitting right behind there in the in the purple shirt. Uh, on that day, uh, on top of that table, they were actually playing with the beta test rules for Firefight. So yes. it's, uh, yeah, we were trying out uh, when it was uh, just released. So uh, I'm, we mentioned Larry just now. So he's the wise man with uh, this large gray patch of hair. Uh, he has the largest collection and he kind of donated all the terrain to us, including the two mats that you can see here. We had two kids, one who was nine years old, the other who was 14. They did pretty well. That's what I wanted to share. Alright, so that brings us to a perfect stack way to talk about other Mantic games. For those of you who only exclusively play Kings of War, we would like to invite you to try out other Mantic games as well. This is another way to support Mantic games, right? Number one on our list is Dead Zone because all six of us here plays Dead Zone. I'm so glad to have Dead Zone in Singapore because I have Kings of War as my big army game, right? And then I've been searching for a skirmish game for a very long time. I've played Q-Team, the previous edition, which was alright. It's a serviceable game. I always wanted to try Dead Zone, but I knew that non-GW games is always going to be a challenge, an uphill battle to push it to the community. And so I didn't go into it. And I even tried uh, Malifaux. I tried Guild Ball. I tried God Tier, which is pretty good of a skirmish game, a grid base as well, but it also takes a little too long. It usually two to three hours per game so that's not what i'm looking for right i have my kings of war that plays two to three hours i want a game that ends in one hour there's something to be said about games that end in one hour because you can easily get two games a night and if you play a two hour game and you lose it's sad sometimes but if you play one hour game you lose you you re-rack you play again and even if you lose twice it's quite all right Dead Zone fills that void perfectly it is a perfect game to me skirmish games should always be grid-based, throw the measurement out the window because that just slows things down. You want skirmish games to end in one hour and the perfect combination of you can go to this grid and you can sit, stand anywhere within that grid. There's still tactical decisions to be made even though you're moving in grids. Dead Zone, number one game to recommend from a Mantic other than Kings of War. I agree with you, Paige, that it's kind of my secondary game for to get that completely different experience than Kings of War. Lars was actually the one who started Dead Zone uh, here locally and uh, it was such a game that I just <laughs> liked so quickly. It was so easy and that, that the games were quicker like you said you could uh, play two games if you wanted to. It's just such a great game. <laughs> it's funny that it might be Mantic's best game. You can get me so much more excited about Dead Zone, actually, than Kings of War, even though Kings of War is my main game. Dead Zone is just such a perfect little product, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I might agree that Dead Zone might be the better game compared to Kings of War. It's just that Kings of War is more popular among the masses. 
Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm all about the mass battle game. That's kind of my my jam. But Dead Zone is also just so so good. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is just the lower barrier to entry for for Dead Zone. Mm. I mean, you get twelve models and you can play <laughs> versus having to build a large army. And I think a lot of Kings of War's popularity is just because the Warhammer Fantasy community is switching over, and so when you have a large population adopting the game, all of a sudden your 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 small niche mass battle game becomes quite large because you got a lot of people playing it. But uh, yeah, I definitely agree that probably. If it wasn't for Kings of War taking off like it did through, you know, the serendipity of them introducing second edition about the time Games Workshop kills off Warhammer Fantasy, I, I think Dead Zone would probably kind of be Mantic's primary game. Reiterating a lot of what we've, we've talked about already with Dead Zone, I think it is a very different type of game to play. Like Skirmish is much different than a, a mass battle. And and that's where mileage may vary for, for folks. Some people are drawn to one and not, and not the other. I absolutely agree, like being able to get a, a game or two in. And an even in an afternoon is always a blast. We didn't talk about it much. There's a, a mechanic where eights explode. So if you roll an eight on a D8, it counts so as success and you get to add another dice to that. So it just, it creates this fun randomness that you can't control. Absurd, yeah. crazy things can happen where little trooper armed with a pistol can take down a, a mech that he has no right to be able to do because the dice said you shot the right spot. Um, yeah, there are so many epic moments that just occur totally randomly. Exactly. The eight train. The eight train. The eight train. Yeah. yeah. And and they're normally against me. So I don't have to being the dice while you lost his feelings. And, and I'll say too, like from, from my experience, you know, I I immediately took to the Rebs, and this was at the start of second edition. Rebs were not very good at the start of second edition. They they have since become incredibly, incredibly competitive. But it was something where it took me a good dozen or two games before I, I won <laughs> like one time. Um, but I, I had a blast every single time that I played um, because it was, it was so quick. It doesn't really drag on. If it's an uphill battle, I even just had a tournament a couple of months ago. I managed to, to take out like half of his force in the first round. And he's like, man, uh, this is going to be a wash for me. And I'm like, well, let's play it out. Let's, let's, let's see how things go. It came down to the wire. Like it, it's a game that really can swing. And, and mo most Amantic games I've found have that built into them so somehow. I'm not sure what exactly it is, but it, it really can. Um, there is that possibility to do a big swing the other way. A lot of it's based on luck, but it, it's luck that then changes the paradigm of the next turn going forward. With third edition uh, coming out here, there's a lot of excitement. It, it's been great to watch the community. The buzz around it has been great. We've got a lot of new players going, hey, what's this Dead Zone 3rd Edition? And I'll also say this is more of, of the production side of things. I'm glad they didn't go a Kickstarter, which had been the previous editions for, for a bunch of their games uh, they had done Kickstarters for. And a big problem that we saw with the Kickstarters is the people that backed it would get like all the models. Um, right, we never need which, to purchase anything. Which meant you didn't have to purchase anything more. Uh, and so local game shops, I think, struggled to justify bringing it on. With third edition, I think there is this big push is like, hey, we've got stuff that you are only going to get by going to a retail store. I'm so excited for third edition. So. Yeah, me too. 
super excited. Yeah. And uh, they fixed a couple of those. The, like the only few rules that I needed to look up was always the rules for, let's say, for grenades. Yes. Uh, and that's one of the few that they've had. They've streamlined apparently. Just one or two things that always made me like flip from one page to another. If they just fix that, it's probably enough to make a even better game. It's yummy for Dead Zone, man. I think everyone's looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Having, a, having a decent uh, list builder. That'd be nice. I'm very excited for the Zone. I'm also very excited for Firefight. Actually, I've been doing some beta testing for Firefight. It's fantastic. It's it's really what the other sci-fi game should be. It's so simple. You just measure from one leader point. I'm looking forward to Firefight as well, but I'm I'm just going for this one for the for the. Yeah, time we need another game. We need another beta test for Firefight. <laughs> yes, that was fun. I actually ordered the Watch Father tanks. I think Kit has been telling me about how great that kit is. So I'm I'm waiting for the for the tank to come in. It's 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 the best. It's the best because that kit you can build it and you can change it to all the four different versions without using any glue or magnets. So you can literally just have four versions of it just like that. I think it's just amazing. Cat needs to make yeah. his leave yeah. first. So thank okay. you, Cat, for joining us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Right. It was a pleasure meeting you. We mentioned the two biggest games for, for Mantic being uh, you know Kings of War and, and Dead Zone. Um, what about some of the other ones? You know, they just came out with Armada in the past year. I think a lot of us have Armada models that we haven't started playing with yet. I have a fleet of Basileans and I have them painted up, but I haven't gotten the game in yet. I think that's on everyone's back burner. So if you guys have armada models do whip them up and try i think felix you have uh, been on the play test right so you have some experience playing armada and a lot of it wasn't so much that i was like really like yeah let me let me play test armada it was because my gaming group was involved in armada and they were like well we can either add them to the play test or we just have to come up with excuses not to play with felix anymore so <laughs> they're like here sign this nda so you can get involved in the play test so because I will freely admit that I am not I, like I'm not a naval battle game person like that's just not it just doesn't it's just not an interest of mine but I will say Armada is built on really good bones being based off of a warlord games black sails uh, game so they really they just sort of fantasied it up that game has been played for years and has been fairly you know well play tested through just the community of warlord games so so it's a really solid rule set it's just not something that I'm interested in. I'm just like uh, that's cool. Let me go play Kings of War now. Um, but if you are interested in a naval fleet action game, like it, you, you can't really go wrong with Armada because it's it's very solid. And they got a lot of cool lists that are coming out, new fleets and stuff like that. And so it's you know I think it's only new, going to get better. How many models do you need to get like a decent game? It's kind of the same as as Dead Zone in terms of like it doesn't require a whole lot. I was coming up with some fairly trash quote unquote type lists, and that was like twelve ships. And that's not, that's pretty high. Like normally you're talking six. I mean, yeah. you probably get two of those, a fleet box and a fleet booster box. And that's probably enough to get you what you need in terms of, uh, you know, kidding out. Yeah. Because I've been, I've been tempted to try it. I have an event coming up in January and I've been thinking about something to have like on the side program or for like an evening program. And I've been considering right. Armada, but I don't have anything at the moment. So I've been kind right. of thinking how quickly could I get what I need, you know, to yeah. maybe build two forces. On the plus side for Armada, when it comes to the actual playing surface, it's fairly terrain light. That, that's how the naval ships work, right? It's always moving and you can only it's go on moving. a trajectory. That's why even a little bit of the terrain uh, affects right. the game quite a bit. But you, you don't need much. So that's, you know, from a, from a game organizer perspective, it's not like yeah. Kings of War where you're trying to 
you know, you're paint trying hills, to get... paint hills for the next event. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to get eight to twelve pieces of terrain per table. You know, there's a there's a limit to how much there's a limit to how much stuff could be floating out in the ocean. Right. <laughs> so in that aspect, it's easier for, to to do a game because even if you do a like a hundred and fifty point fleet, you might be able to get away with a demo game for folks with you know 10 models so it's it's a yeah. very model count light ships are much faster to paint than humanoid models like a white undercoat and some washes can get you a long way perhaps uh, yeah the how is like most of it is just one color contrast right? paints <laughs> oh yeah right mm -hmm. that should work the good. how is the wood color and the sails um that's the mm. two predominant parts of the ship right the how and the and the sails Six foot table, or do you, do you no. go down to four feet? Or the the mat that Mantic sells is one twenty centimeter by one twenty centimeter, so about four by four feet. You can move across that map quick. Uh, I've I've been teaching myself how to how to play because uh, I got two local game stores like ten minutes from from where I live now. When I was checking them out, uh, I'd noticed both had Armada models. I'm kind of in the the same boat. At, um, in that, in that I'm, I'm not much of a naval combat guy, but picking up the the rules, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you just you're always you're always moving, you're you're changing your direction. At this point, this is when you shoot, and it, it's another one where it's like the movement and and really figuring out that that uh, that angle it makes, makes you for a good huge movement. difference. Yeah, if you're able to cross the cross tee, the T, yeah. you know that really. It's where, that like, gives one you... ship comes and you got the other one facing like basically right. you're shooting right down through the, the, entire through model, the right. ship so and i guess that's if anything you can say kind of the common thread that kind of runs through mantic uh, games is like a lot of the times movement is pretty key like in mm -hmm. dead zone even though it's a quote unquote simplified movement it's still pretty important where you place your model because yeah. like you said if you get up on higher up, if you manage to get your opponent out in the open with no cover, I mean, you're adding, you're, you're stacking dice bonuses on top of stuff. Kings of War is almost completely one in the movement phase, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Armada too, it rewards good movement. Um, it, it's so. that thing where it's like you you make the rest of the rules fairly light and simple, and then you just really kind of put it into the movement where that's that's where like so much of the strategy really comes into play. Yeah, right. great tabletop game. The the most important part should be the movement if it's a great tabletop game. Because dice is something you can't control. I remember Fred uh, listening to one of the Giant Dwarf podcast episodes that you took part in a Warhammer fantasy tournament or a ninth age tournament after being away for a while and then you said you charged a chaff unit into one of the opponent's unit. And then because of initiative, he strikes first and kills off your chef. You're like wondering to yourself, why did I even charge it in the first place? This is stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the weakest spots of old Warhammer and Ninth Age still has that weakness there yeah, that you, why even charge if you only get killed? You know? Yeah, it doesn't slow him down at all because you're, you're no. dying on your turn. He's still doing whatever he wants on his turn. Yeah, and if you're stupid enough to get another unit in there, then he kills off the chaff first, and then he wins the combat resolution because he killed all those other guys, you know. So and then, it, and then it breaks your in, unit. <laughs> yeah, in Warhammer, it was very stupid to charge in with something that died easily because they would just award free points for your opponent. <laughs> right. Armada is way easier to transport than Kings of War. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not a navy 
naval combat person as well, but I just thought the ships looked nice. That's why I bought yeah, them. For sure. Yeah, they do look there. They're really, they're really good looking. Uh, I've got a Vaseline. And Get did chime in a little bit. Look so cool. <laughs> yeah, Get chimed in a bit that you know uh, one of the weakness of Armada was it only launched with two factions. Right now, it's right. at six, so it's a little bit more decent in terms of the range. So. Like when it launched, if you didn't like orcs or the Basileans, you have nothing to buy. Yeah, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, that's what I was the issue I had because my my gaming store was just like lousy with terms of like they had beginner boxes, they had Basileans and orc boxes all over the place. But I'm like, I want to play dwarves, <laughs> like because you knew dwarves were coming. Like even when Armada right. dropped, like we knew it was going to be Empire Armada Dust and Empire Dust next, right? Dwarves were coming out, so it was just like, all right, cool, still waiting. Like and then it turns out my store ended up not not ordering because the other ones didn't, didn't sell right you know Damn. so they didn't order the dwarves i'm like but yeah i, I think on mantic spot <laughs> they might want to consider having more factions ready to go before they launch a new product next time let's talk about another game uh, i didn't have it on the show notes but we'll just quickly touch on it then that is vanguard a pet topic of some people i know what you want to say about the vanguard page <laughs> are we going to sit here in this vanguard <laughs> <laughs> well i think vanguard has its fans and it, it has its place in the market which is a more a complex skirmish fantasy game and it scratches an itch for certain people. It just doesn't scratch for the majority of the Kings of War players because they want a simpler skirmish game. Right. But I can recognize yeah. that it has its place. And yeah, I, that's I, fair. The the folks that because uh, Rob talks about it on Countercharge, and the folks that really got into Vanguard at his local store were the Infinity players. Because Infinity has a fairly crunchy rule set, and so that they're using it almost like the fantasy version of, of Infinity. So they really liked that. I'm like what Paige was suggesting. I like my rule sets a little more elegant and simple versus, uh, you know, crunchy. So that's why Vanguard didn't really speak to me. And I've probably got half dozen games of Vanguard in. Yeah, but it's great, though, that you can, because if Mantic's other games usually kind of hit the same kind of player, it's good that they have one game that hits another segment of players. So it's just not always the same group right. of guys. I agree. That's good. I mean, if it's a, if you're a one trick pony, that's fine. If that's the only trick you need to do, but you know, if you want to reach out and grow your community and kind of grow the player base, a lot of where the Kings of War community was kind of like on Vanguard, it was because we were told it was supposed to be an introduction to Kings of War. Whereas I think it's not an introduction to Kings of War, the game. It's an introduction to Kings of War, the, the models and the universe. Yeah. Yeah, the universe, the world, those are all the same, but, um, and then some of the words and the keywords kind of transfer over-ish. Kind of. Kind of, but, you know, <laughs> That's we're worse when it's a... only kind of. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, I want a simple game like Kings of War, you know, in terms of like a skirmish game. And it seems, it's, it's a lot more crunchy. And so kind of like, oh, do I really want to... I really want to do that. It is, you know? I mean, it has some part of Vanguard is fascinating that there are several ways to achieve your goal. You could right. do it by like via so many options. So you can even do it mm -hmm. with a, isn't it something called like a group activation? Group that your leaders can yeah. activate. So you can either activate like this guy or I can have my leader activate several guys together. Right. It's, 
I can so understand you have a group that shot you option could have... or a group charge option, you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that you that there are several ways to the goal, but I didn't feel like I wanted to play it more after I played it. It's like, well, sort yeah. of. Mm. <laughs> right. I gave those demos, and it was kind of like, okay, cool. Let's do like a 500 point game of Kings of War or something. Uh, you know, that's a little, I think, easier. <laughs> yeah. for, Let's try to Dead Zone. Brain around. Yeah. <laughs> dead zone. yeah, exactly. We were kind of hoping for a dead zone in the Kings of War universe. A fantasy dead zone, yes. A fantasy That's dead exactly zone. what I was wanting, and it, yeah. And it, it's a weird thing. Like, I actually ran the Adepticon tournament for Vanguard, the first, the, the one and only at this point, just because it came yeah. out in 2019. It's a weird space because when you start playing it, things can go fairly smoothly. It's very wordy to explain a concept because it's like you have to explain it with words but if you could like just show somebody like how how this works it's like oh okay it's not it's not that complicated but it is um like i know from from my own to perspective i'm like okay and now i have to remember like because they released with you know every faction in kings of war basically had a vanguard army and they each had their own like unique ability and, and stuff like that and so it's the to i'm trying to like remember yeah, having only played like two factions at that point, it's like, man, there's there's so much to try and remember and understand and rules as written versus intent. Um, yeah. I, I do think yeah. they released kind of a, a companion that uh, combined the Ice and Iron expansion and a lot of the errata worked into the rules. It is still kind of that that crunchy game. I know from, from the TO perspective, again, like running a tournament for it was very difficult to pick the scenarios there there's like over 15 scenarios you can play in this game they are very campaign oriented because there there's a lot of asymmetric play which i love i'm i'm a huge fan of but uh, in a tournament that's not good <laughs> yeah it's like uh, save the princess like it's yeah. how how often does the invader win that one it must right. have been like nine and out of, nine times out of ten. It probably is won by the defender. Or burn and, the um, stores. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's a lot dragon of attacker eggs. defender stuff. Yeah. I won the dragon eggs. I had scouts. And I was thinking, well, if I just bring scouts, will I be allowed to take the dragon eggs? And yes, I could. In the and original just, rules, you could. <laughs> yeah. I hope they've patched that up. And that's, that's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the, the scout stuff got patched. And, and some it was of the so other obvious. It was just so obvious to me when I looked at it. Like, well, I can win this very simply. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, like, I'm I, hoping I, if they do a second version of or a second edition of Armada, because I I didn't play Dead Zone when it first came out for first edition, but I heard same. it was kind of rough, and so second edition really kind of cleaned up, you know, Dead Zone to, mm. to where it's kind of at now. So even third mm. zone, third edition is going to be even more of a evolution versus a revolution and just cleaning yeah. up a lot of the things that came out yeah a vanguard 2.0 could be good if they can make it more to like a fantasy dead zone i'd be a little happier but you know hey like you said we're trying to scratch you know mantic's trying to scratch different itches so uh, i could see why they wouldn't and they kind of keep with a, a maybe a streamlined still sort of crunchy because uh, I would love if they could do that. If they could still with, still with some crunch, but still kind of have that kind of streamlined feel of of, of a skirmish game, I would I I I would I'd be down for it. But at least in the one respect that they are able to introduce models, uh, that's what Mantic yeah. has done with a lot of. They're introducing models like the ogre kits and stuff like that that have made their way into Kings of War because you know they got shield breakers and stuff like that. Those were originally re released as Vanguard models. Yeah, so I was thinking that, that Vanguard could be 
might be good for Mantic for in that regard, like selling models. You maybe mm-hmm. buy Vanguard models to put in your Kings of War army. So in that way, maybe it's working quite well for Mantic after all, even though most of us are kind of, you know. Yeah. It, well, it's, seeing... it's a good campaign set too. Like like it's yeah. it's not, like the one-off games are like, all right, what we're really, I think excels is when you... You are seeing uh, units that were introduced into Vanguard become units in Kings of War. They want to have that sort of ecosphere where models in Vanguard end up in Kings of War. And I think they want to intentionally do that with, you know, Dead Zone and Fire. Once they can get their other sci-fi games up, you know, have units that are in Firefight, you know, end up in Dead Zone and Dead Zone units end up in Firefight and stuff like that. Because like, for example, the uh, River Guard Dam Buster, which is a Vanguard unit, is oh, now yeah. a Kings of War unit. The the Winget mm-hmm. came out for Vanguard. That's so right. Everyone's yeah. favorite. Everyone's favorite model, the the Goblin <laughs> Winget, uh, yeah. was originally a, a Vanguard model, and then got ported into Kings of War. So I do like that that they're able to have that sort of ecosphere where where units can kind of go from game to game. And so, and I know they've done this to a limited extent with some other armies, but how they're almost doing that between the two different worlds, because like the Veermen being used as Veerman models being used as Ratkin models in Kings of War. The Nightmares and stuff like that are actually Dead Zone units. To a limited extent, because obviously you're talking sci-fi and fantasy, you can only do so much. But I, I do appreciate the fact they are doing that. So if there's that barrier to entry, you can be like, well, at least if I buy a lot of Veerman, I could use them for two separate game systems. Felix, the Ecosphere you mentioned, I think it's wider than that. It's like you say, there's Kings of War and Dead Zone. But I think some of us did not catch uh, when they updated the Vermin list for uh, Firefight, the beta test. They actually added three Kings of War units into the Vermin list for Firefight beta. Namely, the Claw Shot, uh, the Mutant Rat Fiend, and also the Death Engine. I, I can appreciate that Mantic is doing that and, and kind of allowing you to, yeah, sure, there's a barrier to entry and some stuff, but you can kind of start small. You get a couple of Veerman models and stuff like that. And then as you build your Veerman models, you can go to Firefight or you can switch over to Kings of War with, you know, some few other purchases. And even I think a lot of us have played the tournaments for Kings of War, but I mean, there are thousand point games that you can very easily do as if you're just doing, you know, basement level gaming. Yeah, you don't you don't have to do 2300 points of, you know, of a, of a certain army with your mantic stuff. You can got you can get 1000 points. Yeah, I I like to circle back to the fact that Felix coined a new word and it's called third zone. I think Brian caught that as well. So, let's see if that catches on. Third zone. We'll, we'll go with that one. <laughs> then there's be the fourth zone. <laughs> Just to wrap up about Vanguard, I think Fred knows what I'm talking about because uh, I did say that on a countercharge episode when they did a f- quick fire question and I say what why whisper into Bronny's year and I said remake Vanguard yeah. and I don't think that it's a possible right now the business decision just doesn't make sense but hear me out Mantic if you are listening to this this is a serious suggestion you don't have to pay me for this we have Warpath Firefight and Dead Zone three games we can have Kings of War Vanguard and another skirmish level game that appeals to the skirmish players. So we can have two Kings of War skirmish games. Why not? So you still have the crunchy one to appeal to the crunchy players and you can have the simpler skirmish game with some sort of grid base, hex base, cube base appealing to the Kings of War players. And 
I think that is a possibility. And then you you can have your models, that ecosphere, right, of the Kings of War universe that you have your models using across three game systems. You know, Amada, you can't use most of the models in your Kings of War games. I think any of them. I don't think you can use any of them in your Kings of War games. So that's something that I'm hoping for that would happen. <laughs> and coming round to the last game that I would like to talk about, which is Dread Ball. It is something that piqued my interest. There's very, a very small community of Dreadball players out there. But every time I hear people talk about it, they have good things to say about it. So, Brian, and I think you're the only one who played Dreadball. I'd like you to introduce Dreadball to us. In the Warpath universe, this is a the end-all, be-all sports game going on across the entire galaxy. People watch this, this game. It's a hex-based system. This is actually a picture of Ultimate, which is a, a multiplayer uh, one. Like Up to six players can play this, this version of the game, which is why you see a bunch of different models. Your goal is to basically grab this, this titanium ball. Uh, they have like special gloves to launch launch it. You want to get into this area, this kind of honeycomb space they call the strike zone, and you're basically throwing the ball towards that arrow-looking target at the far end. And you can notice on, on this side of the board itself, there's a couple of pips that denotes like how many points you score from based on your position. It uses D6s. I use all my actions, then you will use all yours, and we go back and forth and back and forth. It's a swinging score uh, pendulum. So if I score two points on mine and you score three points on yours, it swings back one point in your favor. Uh, so you can do kind of the blowout games uh, where someone, someone gets to seven points the game's over, they won. You have six players on the pitch uh, per side. You can have more in your little bench area that can be brought on at different times. It moves very quickly. Uh, it has a, a fun doubling mechanic. I'm going to go and pick up the ball. You have a, a three dice test that you do with D6s. Maybe you only need one success to get it. But if I were to double the number of successes I need, my guy gets a bonus action to go as part of that singular activation, which can be like a run or a throw. So it can be something where it's like, I got a guy, I'm gonna have him run up, he's gonna pick up the ball, doubles that, he's gonna run down the pitch, he's gonna throw the ball to one of his, the other players. I catch that ball, I doubled the catch, I'm gonna run that guy a little further and then I'm gonna throw into the strike zone, all as kind of like one, activation. So it does have that appeal to me with that randomness, right? Where, where sixes explode in this case. So you really can go, okay, I've got one dice and I need to get three successes. It's like, can I do it? You can, you can pull it off if, uh, if the dice believe in you. Um, <laughs> so they call the player's turns rushes. Even when you score, your players stay where they are. And then the ball launches at the middle of the field. So it is something where you really are playing offense and defense in kind of this, this very fluid state. Um, because, you know, if I, if I go and I score, it ends my rush immediately. A new ball is going to launch and it's the other player's turn. It's got a great risk it for the biscuit kind of rule set to it too. That okay. sounds pretty similar to Blood Bowl. I think they have this mechanical go for it. There, there is fouling within the game. So there, there are, are rules that you can break but it, it gives you a lot of bonuses and it's opposed dice rolls for, for some of these player interactions. Uh, it's got a lot of different kind of races that all play differently. You have a, a deck of cards, you draw a hand 
Uh, and so you have cards that kind of help modify what you can do. There's cards that let you do like another activation. Overdrive is kind of an offshoot. They have giant models within uh, Dreadball. This guy, so he's like on three hexes at once. Uh, he can really chomp on people. Um, my convicts team, they rely heavily on fudging the rules. In fact, then, one of them has a rule they just can shoot. An yeah. opposing player just illegal. Just, you just shoot them with a gun. Just, just pull out a pistol like, and just shoot them. That's they, like, they just, well, that's a foul. Uh, right. <laughs> you get like a player ejected from the game, and you got uh, you know you well, can bring I, more I, players on from the bench. I don't right. know. You, I didn't know you played Dreadball Felix. A couple of games here and there. I, I like I said, not nearly as much as Brian's probably played. I probably say I can count on one hand the amount of games of Dreadball <laughs> I've played. But I do I, have a convicts team. I painted up because I wanted to paint orange and. They're in prison fatigue. So yeah, orange it was. It can be very fun in terms of being able to do those sneaky things. Uh, Cause I know part of it too is. Yeah. So at the end of a player's turn, at the end of your rush, you get a, you basically flip over a card and there's a little number and you can move the ref that many that places. Amount. And so, basically well, if, if they're within range of spotting a foul, like there, there's a little dice test to see if they right. saw what happened. If they saw it, so I would, I would frequently have my, I would move the ref like, oh, let me go check out this corner of the map, and they would just, kind of, just kind of wander away from the right. action because I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm having to do all this dirty, underhanded stuff to try and get the ball and take out opponents and stuff like that. So, meanwhile, he's trying to get the ref closer so he can spot those fouls. And then uh, I know there's, there's a test that's involved that if a foul does get spotted, but if you have like the fans on your side, it can kind of add yeah. to your test and stuff like that and just there's yeah. various other things that can go on so it's, it's kind of neat in that respect i've heard it described as a less punishing version of blood bowl i think i think less punishing and, and faster have been the, the words people have told me uh, okay. about it like dreadball really does kind of have that with that doubling mechanic really has that you know high energy like oh man i'm about to pull off this amazing play like i can't believe i've made it this far i've i've only had one dice and I need to get three successes. Like, right. Um, yeah. I had know, that there, one. There's a great high from that. Yeah. Um, I had the one play where it was just like, you're on one side of the map. You're able to make the pass to a guy who was then able to pass to another guy who was able to then shoot. And it's just like, that's like, that's a lot of tests that you need to, because you need to pass to throw to even make it sure it's near the player. Then the player has to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> the player has to make another pass, then another catch and then a throw and then they actually hit. I mean, it's just, it, it was it, crazy. I think it's worth giving it a try just to see if you, if you kind of like it, there's a lot of teams to pick from a lot of different flavors, but it is also very much like a board game. It is something that could be packaged and, and brought out to someone who's like, Hey, let's just, let's just try out this game. There's stat cards um, that are pretty streamlined. I think other players have told me it's like, if things are going poorly, it ends quick. Like it's right. another game you can really play within an hour. Paige, I think we really need to give it a try because I took over the entirety of Gat's collection of Dreadball and I haven't <laughs> played a single game. We'll give it but a I'm try. Really, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, the Cyborg team is actually going to be featured uh, and playable mm -hmm. in Dead Zone uh, for Maison Labs. So I'm pretty excited about that too. I have a few quick fire questions uh, just about Dreadball. So the first question is, uh, what sport is it based on? No, Ronnie will say it's based off this game called Burly Ball, which is where you're on go-karts, you have a little scoop, and, a, and you're, you're picking up a waffle ball, and you're whipping it at a basketball hoop. All right. Um, uh, maybe. It, it, it's, it is a, a fun, like, uh, 
I, I use the reference of it's like rollerball meets rugby uh, okay. or lacrosse, uh, I think is Actually, another think great thing. Handball would be another one. That's yeah. Similar. Yeah, I'd say probably handball, a little bit of rugby. There's no goalie like there is in handball. Like in handball, there's actually a, a goalie defending the goals. There, there's not really a dedicated person per se set up behind the scoring areas because there's three. I mean, yeah, there's three three areas you can score on each each person's side. Yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to, to can't really dedicate one person to. I mean, I guess you could technically as a strategy do that. As a strategy, you could you could dedicate. How, how many people in each team? There can be six players on the pitch at a time legally. Um, there is a foul where you can bring you bring another person on. Um, <laughs> but but generally speaking, like teams are, Referee, are oh, around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it and there's a team that excels in that because they're all little clones, and it's like, yeah. yeah, it wasn't me; it's the other guy. Yeah, so there's like, they basically instead of that particular player getting put in the penalty box and be another player from the team because it's like <laughs> it wasn't me; it was that guy. And it's like, oh, and they put the guy who has nothing to do with the action, who's on the other side of the pitch. He gets you know well, thrown in the penalty box. Yeah, he gets um, ejected, but the other guy who actually committed the foul was still in play because you know the team boxes when you you get one has pretty much all the players for the a standard team. Generally speaking, there may be a max of like 10. It's going to be your average. So like six players on the pitch and then usually two to three alternates uh, on, on the sub bench waiting in case someone gets And you injected. can customize your team as well, right? As in yes. You can, all right. Is it an alternate activation or a you go, I go game? It, it's a, uh, I go with, with uh, everybody. You know, like I said, five, five activations. So I can activate five of my guys. I can do my whole turn. And then the other player goes and they, they'll do their five activations. Does it switch over when you fail a certain action? That's what happens in Blood Bowl. If you lose control of the ball, if you basically drop the ball, your rush ends. And right, it, that's, it is that's where similar to Blood Bowl. Similar to Blood Bowl, yeah. Um, what else? How long does a typical game take? can be like a 45 to one hour um, kind of play time. Uh, it, it moves pretty quick. On average, um, on average, how long does it take? Yeah, I, th I think that'd be average. Actually. That's awesome because Dreadball, uh, Blood Bowl is up to three hours. Yeah, Dreadball, Dreadball moves at a really good clip. The first to seven points, or whoever's in the lead after fourteen rushes, each player gets so basically seven, turns. seven turns. Yeah, yeah. For Blood Bowl, you have eleven players, and the thing is, you activate all your players, but the moment one of your players fail its action, your turn ends. Mm. Yeah. So there's a that's... lot of time planning. This needs to happen first. I have to activate this guy and then this guy. So you have to keep planning, you know, which <laughs> right. And that and priority. that's why I think it's a it's a less punishing version of, yeah. of Blood Bowl. Because like I said, you can fail a bunch of actions as long as you just don't lose control of the ball. Yeah. I can activate a guy up to two times. So, it's a lot more flexibility in that respect. Yeah. And then the looking at Mantic's website, it does say 60 minutes for a game of dread ball. So yeah. you know, <laughs> the trivia. Kept yeah, well, you know, <laughs> well, like you said, once once you start, you know, getting into the game and you got players that are a little more experienced, it can get down to you know forty five minutes, right. depending if you get one of those, uh, you know, <laughs> you just you just happen to have hot dice and just no one's dropping a ball and you're just making every shot. Like, <laughs> all right, but. thank you very much, uh, Brian and uh, Felix, for introducing Dread Ball to us. We're just gonna end this off by sharing a few of our models and collections. Uh, this is my. Out of the Green Lady Army, which I have another video on my YouTube channel, so you guys can probably look at that. But uh, share. Oh.
the bird. I think I speak for the community. It's like this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, no, it is it's, amazing, it is but it is stunning. also ridiculous. <laughs> it's all conversions. Most of my models are converted. None of them are stock standard. Yeah, no, notice like no one kept their army near his because they're just like, uh, <laughs> and, I don't want to be judged off this. And you managed to pull up, was this 100% Mantic? Yes, 100% Mantic. It, it, Everything for is an army For an army that is, you know, supposed to be like an offshoot for the Bretonian players. Even the right. water horses there, I use Mantic horses. That's, that's amazing. That's yeah. ridiculous. All right, and I'll just quickly share my dead zone collection this is my enforcers and my local community has not been kind to me they have shown no mercy to me they're bashing the baby seal i have zero wins and four losses so far <laughs> no one's giving me any shit man so i i will say so when i did the um the dead zone campaign what was it two years ago in 2018 or three years ago i can't remember when the dead yeah zone i think it's 18 was. i think i was like one in nine <laughs> in the campaign like i just i just got the floor wiped with me but it was funny because i'm doing the play testing for third and i hadn't lost i hadn't won a single game yet you know with gcps and all that stuff because my buddy plays marauders <laughs> cheating marauders well then like we played two games that day and they, they were just quick because i just died so quickly but i was just like let me try this with Mazon labs and i absolutely wiped the floor with him i was wow. just like hmm Maybe I found my faction for Dead Zone. So. I, I had the games versus the plague, and then like the first two turns, I'm like, oh, I'm killing him left, right, and center. Left and right, yeah. I'm feeling bad for him, and then the third and fourth round, he just pounced on me. I'm like, oh, I'm dying. Yeah, yeah. Well, the funny part with the Maze on Lab stuff because they have a little bit of the the, the plague, right? The GCPS, yeah. but then they've got a little bit of the the plague elements, and so like I just had. Um, I had some plague victims and technicians just running around one of his flanks and they were just mucking things up. Plague victims are on your face so quickly that yeah. you just didn't have time all of a sudden. <laughs> these these melee monsters just run into play and start just wiping out orcs left and right. It was quite beautiful. So, Felix, do you have your Northern Alliance to showcase? Uh, I do. And they'll be next whenever I send the pictures <laughs> Imagine right. your mind's eye. Yeah. Pictures from my northern alliance. Oh, so. they look great! Yeah, wow, look at that. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did oh, well with man. this one. So yeah, they're really yeah. good. So. The colors yeah. are really just—they just pop. <laughs> uh, the magic Fred. of editing—it's all going to be—it's going to be perfect. Don't Fred. edit this part. Just leave it in. We'll just, <laughs> yeah. we'll just let people drink in the awkwardness Ooh, as we start showing the actual images. So, um, yes, this is my next army project, Persian Abyssals. So I have the test model still on my pin handle here. Nice. It's a OGW nice. pot. Uh, Fred, do you have anything to show? Well, first, I want to show is not a model, but it's an announcement about upcoming, upcoming event. Uh, yeah, Epic sure. Dwarf GT in Oslo in January. I made a web website. You can uh, go just go to epicdwarfgt.com, and you'll be rerouted to a Kings of War forum uh, thread. Uh, about that so we're trying to restart our tournament uh, life here in oslo mm -hmm. and then um, yeah getting back to it so i just awesome. wanna this and this is the day i've been announcing it so i just thought i would uh, announce it once again so i have some simple forge fathers 
oh, 200 nice. points Very is nice. black. And this is my demo army. So the ones with the red helmet, they are the like specialists with the super cannon. The ones that shoot like eight tiles and hell blaster, I think they're called. Yellow is the leader and the grayish green, they have smoke grenades. I just, I wanted to make a way to differentiate between them. I think that was the, the hailstorm auto rifle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the, that's the dwarven sniper, isn't it? <laughs> and I have the, some uh, a sniper with a heavy machine gun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I tried some camo armor on the guns, like oh, it's like wow. urban camo. It looks uh, sharp. Yeah, and these are um, some of those metal parts with the claws, which I really like to make a bit cooler commandos. Uh, yeah, sniper here. Always dies, but he's, I love him. Marauders uh, are fun in, in Warpath because they're not—they're uh, not like the crazy barbaric imbeciles. They're—they're they're incredibly smart and and yeah, cunning. I really like to play them. Plague victims uh, to go with my uh, marines, which I painted up in a very—it's kind of a tribute. I painted these very dirty to match Lars's models because he had the Mason Labs force. I just wanted to complement the force and make it larger. Right. So uh, I made some of those. I also made a plague list, which is quite large. Um, nice. See here, with uh, one of those big guys. <laughs> the, I forget the names of half of these. Just going did you see the? One. Did you see the new uh, plague Terraton model? Looks fantastic. It yeah, looks, I did. It looks wicked. Yeah, I like this one too. But uh, the new one looks cool. Oh yeah, they're both good. They're both good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I remember also killing I both um, plague terracons, and then the, the, the guys that's one size smaller just destroyed all my enforcers. <laughs> yeah, so also have some uh, here's, here's me and V uh, Dog playing on the, my table, my custom dead zone table. Nice. And it's fun to play on, but it gets uh, old after a while because you learn that uh, shooting is king on such a, mm. on this particular table. Got the rules on the side and everything. I also wanted to share my own. This because this is about Mantic. So some of my Mantic undead, my blue undead, as they're called. The mummies, right? I, I think they look yeah. really nice because they look like hooded uh, heroes with all the cloaks and all. Yeah, pretty cool. And also zombies, which are super easy to paint. Ninja so, mummies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have some. Uh, I usually go. I usually pick a color and then just go quite heavy. With those, like my orcs are like green armored. Uh, right. And that's a good way to tie an army together or a force together. It's just absolutely. You know. mm -hmm. So just pick some of my orcs here. And uh, yeah. More high hat. Wow. And the, sword. The, the drum is custom made. Is it custom made? Those drums? Um, the yeah. The, the it's a, it's an actual miniature you can buy it's from uh, uh, uh impact miniatures i think it's called you get the drum kit you also get the lead singer and the guitar player and the, they're all orcs <laughs> so uh, reminds yeah. me of uh mad max yeah yeah very mad max uh, style yeah yeah i think that's the i also did the tabletop simulator for kings of war this uh previous uh, covid season here's a four per person game of uh, kings of war which i had with i think it's just me v dog martin and jürgen also worked uh, surprisingly well actually with uh, 
So tabletop sim works for Kings of War as well as uh, Dead Zone, but it's even better for Dead Zone though. Yeah, that's about it. I kind of need to leave now. Well, th- it was it was great meeting you, Fred. Yeah, thanks you too, hey, and thanks you, a lot, Fred. Paige, for thanks for having me on. Awesome, it was fun. Well, Can you see this screen all right? Yep, I'm seeing right. two striders. Yeah, and so uh, th- this was actually I was thinking about showing it earlier when Kit you were talking about uh, the the customization and flexibility of the Mantic models. Like these, I like Gundam. Gundam but... striders. Oh my god. Oh, I <laughs> and, see. I see the V fin. And so these are actually 100% Mantic model conversions in, in, uh, in a, lot of, a lot of bits and pieces from terrain kits. Painted up my GCPS to look like the Earth uh, sphere, the Federation forces. And That's I did my, my Marauders are actually um, modeled oh, after the Zeon. <laughs> the Zeon army. <laughs> <laughs> so he is less uh, Mantic percentage. There's, there's definitely pieces of... Uh, that goof in the back there uh, that uh, is a different model. Do you um, use actual Gundam bits? Uh, th- those were actually from SD model kits. So this was actually yeah. the original uh, 8th model kit that I did where I grabbed the shoulders and the shield were actually from an SD Gundam and then the backpack as well. But the other two, I went like, I need to make this as 100% Mantic. Yeah, um, the SD kits are the cute uh, what the Japanese yeah. call chibi size, so they're mm-hmm. like cute bob-headed uh, scale yeah. of so it kind of fits the twenty-eight millimeter scale for Mantic. Yeah, uh, these are are just my Reb drip ball players. Had a lot of fun doing those. Uh, wanted to show off. This was the model I was trying to show off earlier. Was a, an Infinity model that I converted. These are actually elf arms that I uh, added on to make them a Rin. Uh, Rin Sniper. Yeah, I think Infinity models are common uh, Con- yeah, conversion or proxies for uh, Mantic Dead Zone. And, and then I made my Enforcers to be Star Wars based. Oh, uh, wow! So, <laughs> Look at so, the resistance symbol. <laughs> I did these guys as like clone troopers. Wow. So oh, I, oh, I, just have, I just have fun with, uh, wow-y, with wow-y. my paint schemes. Yeah, I just... Uh, like the terrain that I've thrown together more lately, I've been making more buildings. Uh, this is actually even predates third edition's announcement. Uh, I just like, I wanted terrain that was like in a living world before the dead zone destroyed it. So uh, really went to town and did a lot of that. Those are, those are some fun pictures. Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing all your stuff, guys. I know it's been a little bit tough having <laughs> six people on the show, but we did it. We're at the end. And hope that by the end of this uh, podcast, we do inspire people to play on buy more Mantic models to support this wonderful company with all the games that it's been coming out with. Definitely, if you do see those beautiful 3D armies that you really inspire, you can go for it. But do consider Mantic in some of your army choices. Hopefully, we covered the width and breadth of uh, a lot of the Mantic uh, world. He's, and hopefully. He's... These games are great. You should play them. <laughs> yep. Let's try Dreadball. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Armada and Dreadball next on my list. I'm like full breath of all the Mantic games. So with that, I think thank you very much, everybody. We'll call it a show. Yeah. And thank, thank you, Paige. This is this was you, a really Brian. fun time. I just text. I just Facebook messaged you. Are you are you the Brian on the, the podcast? The on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Right. And yes, thank you, Kit. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Felix. And of course, uh, thank you, God and Fred as well. Fred. Because, uh, yeah. I had to drop off earlier. See you guys next time. Thanks, everyone. All right. Take care. Take care. Hey guys, just a post-production message here. What we have discussed in this podcast, we're not trying to diss any players that are playing with non-Mantic armies, but we are trying to encourage people to play more Mantic armies and buy more Mantic product to support this company. Because look, we have been six years since the Warhammer Fantasy World collapsed and there's an influx of Kings of War players. Six years it has been. But if you walk to your recent tournament, if you look down all the armies that's on the table, how many of them are Mantic, right? Not, I, I don't think there's a lot of it. Unless, well, it's one of those Clash of Kings events where Mantic will give you a free ticket for fielding the best Mantic army, right? But otherwise, we don't see a lot of Mantic armies still. Imagine if Mantic mandated that you know you can only play with Mantic models at tournaments, which by the way, almost every other miniature company is doing. How much more money Mantic would have made by implementing this rule? But they didn't. So on the flip side, how much money they have missed out on because they say, no, we want you to play with any models you want to play with and we can only hope that you buy our product and support our company. So as much as we sometimes get swept up with cool army ideas, artistic projects, do keep Mantic as one of your considerations. You know, I can try to make a cool army with Mantic as well. Having Mantic armies also look better at your local game store when you're trying to convince people to play Kings of War. If not, you're like, oh yeah, I'm playing Kings of War, but these are not Mantic models. So, you know, the branding, the optics needs to be there as well, especially if your local game store carries Mantic and maybe if you buy enough they will want to carry Mantic products and you know the sales of the Mantic products will give them more confidence to make more models right especially hard plastic models because those cost quite a bit you know a lot of people harp on the elf models from Mantic now look they could try to make a new hard plastic sprue of elves but they're not confident that enough of us will buy them and I'm not even confident enough people in the Mantic Kings of War community would buy those sprues. So it is a very high risk for them. Surely they would want to make nicer elves, but like uh, what's covered in the podcast, if they're not going to make something that's unique in the market, people might just buy other companies' elves or other Patreon scalps because there's a ton of choices out there. So for those who don't have a, a Mantic army yet, I do encourage you to plan your next army to be Mantic. If you already have at least one Mantic army, try to alternate. So like my next army project will be a Mantic army project. After that will be a non-Mantic army project and then it will be Mantic again. So that way we work towards like a 50% Mantic army collection and that we're trying to support this company that produces this uh, wonderful game that we love. If you're from the Asia Pacific region, do consider checking out Hammer House website for your hobby needs. They carry a wide range of miniatures and hobby supplies, including Mantic, Vallejo, Scale 75, and Green Stuff World products. Thank you for watching and listening to this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, you can send me some encouragement by liking the video on my YouTube channel, Newbie Dice, and do consider subscribing to my channel, Newbie Dice, for updates on future content.